welcome to episode 14 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we are going to be talking about it. Today, we are recording on January 8th, 2017, and this is a very special episode. Instead of our usual format, where we discuss a few games we've been playing during the week, we are going to be doing our top 10 games of 2016. So consider this our official So Video Games Podcast Game of the Year episode, or maybe I should say Games of the Year, since we'll be talking about a lot of them. But my name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of the show. With me, as always, is Brad Galloway, editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad? I am doing well, and I am pumped for tonight's episode, man. Pumped. Pumped, pumped. I'm really excited, too. Um, we are going to, as listeners know, we usually start the show off with just a little bit of banter that might or might not be video game related. Uh, just a warning, we might run a little bit long tonight. We've got a lot of games to cover. We're going to be talking about some stuff we're looking forward to in 2017 as well. So uh, let's just keep trucking through the uh, and start with the banter. Brad, what do you have? What's going on? Um, just a couple of things really quick. One thing is a new show that I started watching on uh, Netflix recently. It's called Crazy Head. Um, not a very good title. It's not very descriptive, and I don't think it really fits the show that well. Um, but basically, it's a story about two British women who can see demons, which are uh, coming into our dimension. And so they kind of take it upon themselves to like fight back and kind of foil their schemes. It's funny because they're just like average girls. I mean, they don't have superpowers apart from from seeing the demons. Um, and there's a few twists that come uh, along later on. But basically, they're just two ladies who are just trying to get by like they're fighting demons off with like whatever's at hand they're just like struggling making mistakes it's kind of funny because they're very relatable they're very realistic i mean they talk about like you know sex and alcohol and how they're not succeeding in their lives and stuff so it's a really cool funny uh charming show i think it's great it's a six episode limited series on netflix and it's netflix original so that's the only place you'll find it um for those of you who may like british tv because this is is actually a british show uh, this is made by the same guy who did Misfits. Uh, Misfits was a pretty popular show uh, a couple years ago. Have you ever seen Misfits, by the way, Corey? I have no idea what that is. Oh, my God. Okay, so let, let this be like a double recommendation. I think Crazy <laughs> Head is great. Misfits is the fucking shit. It is a, the best show ever. In that particular show, a group of ne'er-do-wells, or these people who like got uh, convicted for various like small-time crimes littering or graffiti or whatever they're sentenced to community service this is also another british show too so they're doing community service and then like this mysterious light happens in the sky and then all of a sudden they get superpowers and so like they're these like kind of quasi scummy fuck up loser kids and like they all get superpowers and so none of them become heroes like they start doing like 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 shit that you would do if you all of a sudden got superpowers and they just kind of interact with each other and just kind of go through life it's a really, really cool show. I love Misfits, and Misfits is the fucking best. So check out Misfits. Also check out Crazy Head. And just one other really quick mention before we move on. I just saw the newest, not really Harry Potter movie, but the newest in that universe, the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I know it's a couple weeks out. I'm a little bit behind the curve on this one. But the wife and I had a few hours yesterday to ourselves, and so we decided to go check it out. And I have to say, I mentioned on the show a while back that we were re-watching the Harry Potter movies. And I think that's been going really great. They're actually pretty good movies. And 
even though I wasn't like 100% on board with them at the time because the books were so fresh in my mind, I think looking back, they're pretty well done. Uh, checking out Fantastic Beasts, I felt like it was a pretty big misfire, honestly. I kind of expected more from it. Basically, the main character is not a very likable guy. The plot is really confused. They don't spend enough time explaining certain things. And it almost feels like two separate movies that are crammed together. Like, from the, from the title, you would think that it's all about the Fantastic Beasts. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's in the title. But there's this other subplot, which is really weird. It's kind of like this Nazi um, magic supremacy thing. Like, I mean, maybe there's parallels to what's going on with Trump in the country right now. Or just, it's a really dark and weird. There's a couple things that happened in the movie, which I found, like, pretty uncomfortable. Like, I thought were really unexpected for, for a Harry Potter movie. And I've, I've had some people say, well, it's not a Harry Potter movie. Granted. But it's by the same author. It's in the same universe. I, I don't think it's a stretch to kind of expect a similar kind of vibe, even though none of the characters are the same. But it was much darker, kind of cruel in some aspects. And I just I just didn't like it very much. It was really it felt like it should have been two separate movies and they should have taken a lot more time with the characters that they had. It was just a, a disappointment all around. And I mean, like the worst part was I thought the supporting characters were better than the main characters. I wanted to see more of the supporting cast. And it just the whole thing just felt really confused. I don't know why they rushed it so much or why they, they crammed it so full of stuff. Apparently, this Fantastic Beast is contracted to do, I think, six films or something. So they've got room to breathe. It seems like they should have taken more time setting this first one up properly. But anyway, um, still a thumbs up for the original Harry Potter films. Uh, thumbs down for Fantastic Beast, though. I was I was pretty disappointed. And I am going to call that good for my banter this week. Corey, uh, what do you want to banter about, sir? Uh, I've got a couple things as well. I, I like how we just have a trend of talking about movies whenever we talk about, whenever we do our opening, because I have a movie I want to talk about right now. Um, I went and saw Jackie last night, which is uh, stars Natalie Portman. It is the biopic of Jackie Kennedy or Jackie O, whatever you prefer to call her. Um, and I didn't really know, I mean, I'm going to sound really stupid when I say this. I'm going to say I didn't really know what to expect going in because I wasn't sure, like, what exactly it was going to be covering about her life. I didn't know if it was like a birth to death thing or if it was just like her time in the White House or whatever. Um, but uh, the movie basically covers just like a few days surrounding um, the assassination of President Kennedy. And I obviously knew that was going to be a part of the movie, but I didn't know that it was going to be kind of based around the whole thing. Um, I think the movie, the timeline of the movie only spans like three days, I think. And... Uh, and I have to say, I, I liked it. I mean, it's, you know, nominated for a bunch of shit. And Natalie Portman is, like, the bomb. Like, I love Natalie Portman to death. Um, she, like, won her Oscar for Black Swan and then had a kid and then basically hasn't done a whole lot for five years, which, I mean, power to her. She can do whatever she wants. And then she comes back playing Jackie Kennedy as a, a biopic and gets nominated for stuff all over again. Um, but I do have to say, I think it was, like, a little <clears throat> boring. And I... I, I I think I might sound rude saying that, but it's it's a very beautiful and elegantly done film. But it was it's kind of boring in the way that like you would think an Oscar movie is sort of where it kind of like takes its time a little bit going to where it goes and it uh and it doesn't have like a bunch of like huge emotional climaxes. I mean, you know, the assassination of President Kennedy, you know, is like a huge deal, but there's you know some reaction stuff from her but the rest of it is just kind of like her being sad and like trying to figure out you know what to do about the funeral and about her life and and uh i i don't know i don't really know that i expected it to be you know a movie where there's like screaming matches every five seconds or something because i'm not really up on my um 
history of the Kennedys. It's not really something I like researched individually or really learned about in school. Um, but it, it just had a lot of like downtime, but it's still good. I mean, I would recommend it. Um, I'm not sure if I think Natalie Portman deserves to win stuff that she gets nominated for for this, but uh, I mean, who am I to say? It's not like I'm on the Academy or anything to vote. Um, That's interesting, man. Let me ask you, why did you go and see that? Because like I'm older than you. And I feel like the whole Kennedy thing was, like, even before my time. Like, I, of course I know who they were and what happened and all that. But I have, like, zero emotional attachment. And I feel like it's really weird that our country is, like, so obsessed with the Kennedys. Uh, I mean, I don't know if that's just from people who are even older than me. But it's, like, I kind of don't care. Like, I see it as a historical <laughs> thing that happened. But I don't give a fuck. And I, I'm curious. I mean, I guess I'm just kind of generally curious. I don't understand why America is so obsessed with them. But, like, why did you go to see this? Like, what what drew you to see something like this? Because, I mean, you must have even less of a connection to the Kennedy era than I do. Uh, yeah, I don't really have, like, any connection to the Kennedy era. But, honestly, I think the only reason I went and saw it is because of Natalie Portman. Like, I, I just adore her. One of my favorite movies of all time is the film Closer that has her and Clive Owen and Julie Roberts and... Uh, um jude law in it uh which is based on the play by patrick marber that is like in my top three favorite movies of all time and i kind of feel like natalie portman can basically just do no wrong even though i know that's not true so i mean i basically just wanted to see it to kind of assess her in the role and her acting duties but then again i don't really know anything about jackie kennedy so it's not like i was watching it and being like oh wow she's just like jackie kennedy because i don't really know anything about her but uh, Natalie Portman drew me in, and I went and saw it, and I was happy to give uh, that film my money. I think it's worth it, but I just wasn't, like, blown away, I guess. But I, I don't know. I Maybe I wasn't expecting to be blown away, but uh, I don't know. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Just curious. Uh, you know, and just for me, I don't usually go in for, like, Oscar bait movies myself. I kind of stay away from those. I find them to be really boring in general, so I'm not surprised to hear you say that this one maybe wasn't exactly you know, as exciting as you might have expected. So, yeah, makes sense. Well, it is what it is. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, which is not related to movies, is uh, I'm definitely getting with the times and playing what is currently the hottest, newest game right now, which is Metroid Prime. Um, Whoa, you were you were cutting edge. I know, friend. cutting edge. Um, is I, this the first time ever? No, it's not. I played it. Oh, okay. I played it back on GameCube, and I think if I did the math correctly, I was like 15 or 16 at the time, because I played it right around the time it came out, and I remember playing it and thinking it was fine. I had zero attachment to the Metroid universe at that point, but, you know, they made it all cool and edgy as a first-person shooter, and I was into shooters at that time, and um, and I played it, but I remember stopping at some point because I just didn't know what to do anymore. And that wasn't an era where you could just look up a guide on your phone and figure out where to go. Like if you kind of got stuck back then, you just either had to give up or had to just explore and persevere. Um, and I, uh, didn't want to do that. So I bought the, wait, 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 let's, 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 let's pause whoa, there for whoa, a second. Cause maybe some of our, maybe some of our listeners don't know about that time back in the, so like. It's funny you say that because my son, when he gets stuck, like the first thing he says is, dad, look it up, you know, like, and I just, I walk over to the computer, go to GameFAQs or whatever he's stuck on. But yeah, dude, like it's back in the day, there was a time when there was no internet. I can clearly remember a time when we had no computer. You played the game and if you got stuck, you were stuck. Yeah. If you couldn't figure it out, you better go to school and ask your friends or you better, uh, you know, figure something out, go to the magazine store and look up something. Um, I'm curious, Corey, are you old enough to have ever called the uh nintendo uh game counselors back in the day 
Oh, no. I, I, I knew that they existed or that companies had them, but I never called them. I was much too scared to get on the phone with somebody to ask about video game tips. Okay, so maybe maybe for some of our listeners, I'm sure some people don't know this, but back in the day, like when the NES first came out, uh, Nintendo employed banks and banks and banks of people, and their only job was to answer the phone and help you if you got stuck. Like, a lot of developers these days actually got their start as game counselors. I know, I can I can think of a few who started there. So, like, you would, like, be playing at home. I, I did this myself. I, I was at home playing Legend of Zelda, the original, got stuck, motherfucker. I'm stuck. <laughs> I don't know what to do. So you call Nintendo, like they, they put their phone number in the Nintendo Fun Club magazine, which is a magazine they put out way back in the day. You'd call them up and you would wait and you would wait and you would wait and you would wait and you would wait. It would take forever because, you know, people are like literally like looking this stuff up in these files trying to help you. You would finally get somebody, you'd explain where you're stuck. The guy would be like, OK, hold on. And he would like go to like his like manila folder and like look up the notes that he had. <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, yeah, it's the third tree from the left, up, up, down, left. And you'd be like, oh, OK, cool. Thanks. So, like, dude, that, I mean, look how far we've come. Like, to go from that to, you know, looking at game facts on my phone and, like, takes five seconds to find the answer to anything, including, like, visual walkthroughs. I mean, we've come so far in such a short period of time. Oh, dark days behind us, man. Yeah. I mean, whenever I was younger, I was no stranger to strategy guides, which, uh, I mean, they still make strategy guides today. But, I mean, basically, if if you're listening and don't know what that is, it's it's just, like, a usually a hardcover kind of like a magazine that's basically just like an a to z thesaurus of the game and it has a whole walkthrough and it has tips and tricks and if there were like secret codes um those would be in the back so i had a lot of uh strategy guides as a kid when i was younger but i never i never called any hotlines about anything that's for sure that was you know they stopped that after a while because that was not a free call so okay so this is even this is like ancient history i'm sure this is going to sound so foreign to some people but like you would call and you would get charged by the minute, you know, and you didn't have like a minutes deal or anything. This was like a landline, like nobody had cell phones back then. So like you would be sitting there in your kitchen, like on this like eight foot corded phone or something and just standing there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And like you would get charged. And so like after after a while of parents getting pissed off because their kids would call the helpline and like their phone bill would be like four and five and six hundred dollars back then. They'd be like, what the fuck? Because you'd be on this toll line like all this time. Uh, so they, they stopped it after a while. Um, and especially once the internet came up, it really kind of killed the need for that. But I can remember many reports of, uh, adults being very pissed off that their kids like ran up the bills and like the phone companies would like often have to waive the bills because it was just kind of an unheard of thing. And these people were like really upset and they'd be like, Oh, I thought this was free and it wasn't free and what's going on. And it was, it was kind of a crazy time. Those are crazy days, dude. I'm sure like I'm sure people listening to this who did not live through the era are like, what the fuck is this guy even talking about? This is so crazy. But man, oh, yeah, it's, good old days. It is silly. Although I have to say, if your parents uh, get mad that you ran up your phone bill, it's probably better that you were calling a Nintendo toll-free or like a, a toll number and not like a phone sex hotline. Oh, yeah. Boy, those used to be a thing, huh? The old 976 numbers, man? Those oh. were a thing. Yep. Um, good times good times but but long story short although it's been long already i playing metroid prime again i bought uh they have the trilogy the wii version of the trilogy available on the virtual console for the wii u and i bought this thing like years ago because um it was on sale on the wii u like a couple years ago and i bought it and the thing that pissed me off is that because it's the wii 
ports on the virtual console you have to play it with a stupid wiimote and the nunchuck oh, awful so oh, yeah and what what pisses me off the most is it has all three metroid games in them and the first and second were gamecube exclusive at the time so like how hard would it be to just port the gamecube controllers onto the wii u like screen controller thingy whatever it's called the gamepad yeah. like they could totally do that and instead you have to like have the sensor bar up and have the Wiimote and have the nunchuck. And I mean, I have all those things, but it was just, I, it literally took me like two or three years to like stop being lazy enough to get them out of like the closet, the tote in the closet and, and set them up. But, uh, so well, it's awful. It's, it's totally awful. They should have like done way more. I totally feel you because I've bought many games and I just, I just don't want to fuck with it. Cause it's just like a pain in the ass, especially like when they don't port the controls, it's terrible. Yeah, it's not it's not the best, but I mean, it's pretty good. Like, uh, I I'm not at this point. I'm not up to where I stopped originally in Metroid Prime. But even most of me like retracing my steps and going through it. I mean, I played that game like 12 years ago, so I can bear. I remember like little bits and pieces of things, but most of it feels pretty much brand new at this point in my life. But I like it so far. I know Metroid Prime is on a lot of people's, like, they're, like, top 10 of all time video games lists, and I don't think it'll land there for me, but I definitely like it, and I'm actually planning on beating it this time around. And if it's if it's good enough, maybe I'll play the second one after I'm done with this and uh, and go from there, I guess. Don't bother. Just stop at number one. They just go downhill from there. Aww. I know people disagree with me, but they just get bigger and more complicated and worse. I think number one is the best one, honestly. For me, anyway. Well, I will, uh, I'm definitely planning on finishing number one, and I mean, I might give, I remember playing number two on uh, GameCube back in the day, like I rented it, oh my god, I rented it at Blockbuster, we're really going back, remember Blockbuster? Bro? Oh my god, renting a console yep. at Blockbuster. I, yeah. I rented uh, Metroid Prime 2 Echoes at Blockbuster and came home and played it, and I remember it at the time, it just being really hard, and I played it for like an hour, and I kept dying, and I was like, alright, well I'm just gonna stop playing this game, because I was like 16 or 17 and had other stuff to do than get killed in a video game over and over again but i don't know we'll see i might try to and but i won't uh i won't keep playing it if i don't like it that's for sure well i look forward to your further report on how that goes and in fact since it is something that we will be playing or at least you will be playing perfect uh, material for the so video games podcast on a future episode it's true i listeners do not be surprised if a week from today i'm talking about metroid prime again on the web or on uh, <laughs> on this podcast because i probably will be all right well i'm all out of banter you got anything left uh nope that is it for me so let's move on to the meat of episode 14 which is our game of the year discussion um, before we jump into it, though, I just want to lay out some preliminary info and ground rules. Uh, not that we really have many, but uh, just so the listeners can know what to expect. Um, there's a lot of websites and game podcasts out there that do like a bunch of categories, um, or they have like a roundtable discussion of the panelists and they kind of like discuss the games and then nominate one for like an official game of the year, like for the podcast or the website. But Brad and I are going to do things a little different. Um, we are simply just going to discuss our top 10 games that we played throughout the year, and we're going to give our thoughts on them and why we chose them. And we don't really have any like official quote-unquote podcast rules, so we each just have our own personal rules and stipulations about what we picked and why. And we're not, just so we're clear, we're not naming a So Video Games Podcast Game of the Year. This is just our own personal top 10. Um Brad, do you have any prelim info you want to talk about before I talk about my info? 
Uh, yeah, nothing too complicated. I mean, I basically played what caught my eye or whatever uh, someone said was noteworthy throughout the year from a critical perspective. Um, and then I tried to play anything that I missed before the end of December. Um, the only problem is that being the editor of GameCritics.com, I spend a lot of time editing, as one may expect. It's right there in the title. So I noticed that my free time, available time to take on games, was pretty limited this year on top of, you know, doing a day job, on top of having a family. So it was a little bit of a struggle to play, like, everything that I wanted to play, but I feel like I did pretty well. Um, I'm sure we'll cover this a little bit later, uh, but apart from the pinch of free time, I think I basically got to everything that I wanted to. So, I mean, whatever whatever seemed like it was going to connect with me, that's what I went after, and that's just basically how I picked my top ten. So, nothing too complicated. Okay, good. Well, um, for me, uh, I played... As I played games this year, this is the first I've ever done this, but as I played them, I kept an ongoing list on my phone of every single 2016 release game I played, and I ranked them as I finished them. But the important thing is that I only ranked them as I finished them. So I have a separate list for games that I played and did not finish, and then I have my official ranked list of games that I played and finished. Um, and in 2016, I played 48 games, and I finished 38 of them. And I'm only counting. Wow, that's pretty good. Oh, thanks. I, I wasn't fishing, but thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm only counting games that released in 2016 for my list, but, and this is kind of a big but, um, I'm counting console remasters, and I'm counting games that came out on PC a long time ago, but were released for the first time on consoles this year. So a couple of examples would be like Dear Esther and the Amnesia Collection. Um, like those games have been on a PC for like years and they just came to PlayStation 4 this year. Um, and some of those I played for the very first time this year. So I am going to be counting games such as those. Um, and spoiler alert, uh, I have not one, but two remasters in my top 10 list. So to counteract uh, my, I don't know, negligence of putting remasters in my top 10 list, Brad and I are going to name a couple of runners-up that we have, or honorable mentions, if you will. Um, so just in case anybody listening has a severe problem with me having remasters in my top 10 list, you can just listen to my runners-up and just sub those in in the remasters places. And then uh, we can go from there... And last but not least, I feel like I'm going to spend the entire hour just naming off ground rules before we actually start talking. Um, <laughs> last but not least, Brad and I are going to talk about popular some popular games that we did not play this year, just to kind of set the scene on anything that we might be leaving out. Because I don't want a bunch of people tweeting us and sending us hate mail and saying, uh, you know, that we didn't pick Final Fantasy 15 for our game of the year because neither of us had played it. So just in case anybody's wondering, we're going to talk about some games we we did not play. Uh, Brad, do you want to start off by saying anything uh, popular that you did not play this year? I mean, there was a lot of stuff that I felt like was kind of popular. I mean, I think Final Fantasy uh, 25, as it's known on this podcast, <laughs> is probably like the, you know, like like budget-wise or like in terms of AAA games, uh, one of the biggest ones. But I knew I just, I wouldn't play it. Like, I just knew it wasn't going to connect with me. I, I'm not that big a Final Fantasy fan, and Nothing about it made me think like it was going to change my mind. Uh, Uncharted 4 is another one that got a lot of props. I didn't play that one because, again, I'm not really an Uncharted fan. I've played a couple in the series. They don't connect with me, really. I didn't hear anything that was telling me that was going to change my mind this year. So I kind of skipped those um, just because I just I just felt like them actually being a win for me would be like a real long shot. 
And with my time being so limited, I got to really be choosy about what I take on. The only noteworthy one that I felt like would connect or would have a very good chance of connecting that I ended up not having time for was Hitman. Um, I, you know, you just can't play all the games you want to play every year. And that was one that I really was kind of sad got away. Um, I just, at the beginning of the year, it came out. I tried the demo. I liked it. And then I got busy with things. And then it was like an episode would come out. And I'm like, well, I want to wait until more episodes come out because I'm going to be frustrated if I play it. And then it's over too quick. Like I wanted to make sure I'd be able to really dig in. And it just like... Every time a new episode would come out, I would be in the middle of something else or like I'd be busy somehow. And I just kept putting it off thinking, OK, I'm just going to get to it once it's all out. And then it all came out and then I was too busy. And then I just I just didn't get to it. I'm super sorry, Agent 47. I really feel like like you and me could have had something, <laughs> but it just it just did not happen this year. I'm going to play it really soon once I get through what I've got on my plate right now. Um, that's the only one that I feel like kind of got away from me. But otherwise, I feel like I got to everything that had a pretty decent chance of, of, of making it with me. But, but what about you, Corey? Well, before I name mine off, I just want to say that the joke's on you because for listeners that don't know, I reviewed every single chapter of Hitman for Game Critics. So even though Brad really wanted to play it and did not play it, he had to edit every single one of my Hitman reviews and listen to me talk about how amazing it was, and he still did not play it. I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I, I, I kind of felt like I was, I was playing it... Uh, What's that thing where you, you like uh, you live vicariously? I was playing it vicariously through you, Corey. <laughs> well, uh, I, I will let listeners know that I'm going to be talking about Hitman tonight some. So anything that Brad does not get to for Hitman, you're going to be able to hear it from me. Um, but for the games that I did not play, I made a list of uh, actually a few more than I had originally thought about. Um, but just to go through the games I did not play this year, I did not play Final Fantasy 15 or Final Fantasy 25. I didn't play either of those two games. Um, I didn't, I did not play the last guardian, which I know is like a big one that a lot of people loved. I did not play Stardew Valley. I did not play Gears of War four. I did not play overwatch. I did not play the witness. I did not play hyper light drifter. I did not play dark souls three. I did not play Pokemon go. And I did not play Pokemon sun and moon. Those were probably the biggest like quote unquote high profile or like awarded games that I could think of this year that I haven't played. So, um, uh, I think. Well, let me ask you, Corey. That's that's a that's quite a list. I mean, that's like that's a lot of like quote unquote big games there. So is it is it that you did not play them because like me, you did not think they would connect with you, or did you? Are they like why did you avoid all of those games? Any particular any common thread between those? Well, some of them I just kind of figured that I would not like. Um, like for instance, um, let's see. Like, The Witness, I, I know what it is. I've listened to people talk about it on podcasts, and I just know that I won't like it. Um, it's just not my kind of game. And I also, I mean, it's on my PlayStation 4, but I'm, I I did not buy it. My partner did. Um, so, I mean, technically, we kind of, like, gave, uh, what's the guy's name that makes them? Jonathan Blow. Yeah, Jonathan Blow. We, like, gave him our money. And I don't really like Jonathan Blow. I think he's kind of a douchebag. So I don't really, like, want to even spend any more time talking about his games. So I'm actually going to switch to another game right now. Um, I, I kind of want to play Hyper Light Drifter because I've heard a lot of good things about it, but I've heard that it's like a Zelda clone and I don't really, I'm not really into old school Zelda. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to play it. Uh, a few games like, or I guess a couple, like Last Guardian, I'm definitely going to play at some point. I'm sure I'll play Gears of War 4 at some point. They were just not high priority enough for me to get to before the end of the year. And I highly doubt that Gears of War 4 is that I'm going to think it's, like, amazing. 
And Last Guardian, I have no idea when I'm going to think about that game. Um, I'll just have to see until I play it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, but we can, I guess we can move on to our runners up now that we've spent an hour with me talking about the ground rules and about what we didn't play so far this year. Uh, Brad, do you want to start with uh, a couple of your runners up? Yeah, this was kind of a funny year because I spent most of the year with like nothing on my game of the year list. I mean, I think it's pretty cool that you keep a list of like everything you play and everything you finish. I kind of want to do that. I don't know that I will be disciplined enough to do it, but I kind of want to do that. But I keep a list of my own and the list that I keep, and I've been keeping this one for a couple years, is every time I play something that I feel like is potentially a top 10, I just jot it down. So I don't I don't forget because sometimes um, the habit of games journalists, I think in general, is to forget about stuff that came out in the first quarter and top 10 lists tend to be really heavy with fourth quarter stuff, which is kind of what happens with movies and stuff too. Like whatever is released near the awards ceremony, you'll usually see popping up more than stuff from uh, earlier in the year. But I try to be fair and I try to remember. And sometimes, you know, I just can't remember. So I jot those down. And for most of 2016, I had like almost nothing on my list. Now, that's not to say that there weren't any good games in 2016. I feel like there were, but I feel like they were just good or they were very good. But they there weren't a lot where I was like, oh, man, this is top 10. Like, this was the shit. This was really good. Like, just not a lot of those. And that's not to say that other games that are not that good are bad. I mean, they're not, but just sometimes, you know, you play something you're like, yeah, I had fun with that. That was cool, but I'm not going to remember it in five years or, oh, that was, that was fine, but it didn't really push the genre forward or it didn't bring anything new to the table. It was just well done. You know, it was just like a, you know, it was cool, but nothing, nothing super notable. So I had most of the year with nothing on it. And then finally, like by the time December rolled around, I finally had enough to actually fill out a top 10 and then had a couple of runners up. So I don't have many runners up. But a couple of the ones that I thought might have made it to my list and then didn't. Um, first off is Firewatch. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this later in the show. I won't talk about it a lot. Uh, I'll talk about it when it comes up. But Firewatch was one that I felt was pretty close. Probably could have been my number 11 or number 12. And also Titanfall 2. I liked a lot of Titanfall 2. Uh, I liked the level design quite a bit. I love the mechanics. I think some of the design mechanical choices they made were really smart. But the reason it did not make my list was because I just didn't care about the story. I really thought that the uh, the mech that you're with, his name is BT, I really thought he would be more likable. He just, he was okay, but it just, he never clicked with me. The main character, super vanilla, really boring. I, can, I can't even remember what his name was. The way that they handled the connection between those two guys. I mean, I think the relationship between a human and a robot being partners, lots of stuff to explore there. It's a very popular theme in sci-fi. Uh, very fertile ground and I felt like they just barely scratched it like it just nothing about the story really clicked with me so while I really enjoyed playing Titanfall 2 mechanically I think the campaign's awesome from a play perspective from a story perspective it just blah so I couldn't I couldn't justify putting it on my top 10 so those are the only real runners up I had I mean there's a lot of other games where I was like eh, this is okay this is all right but but those are the only two that had a real honest chance of making it and didn't so what about you Corey you must have a couple runners up well, I do, uh, but I did want to address something that you brought up. It got my uh, got my gears turned into my head a little bit. Um, as far as uh, like the top ten list goes, as well, um, like I said before, I did make a rank list of every game I played this entire year. So if you know if somebody happened to say, "Oh, what's the the thirty fifth best game you played this year?" I'd be able to just open my phone and tell them. But I do want to say that um, as far as I'm concerned, this year, like my top four are pretty like 
locked and I love them. But pretty much from like five on out is just kind of like, like, like you said, they're all good or very good, but they're not like amazing or blown me away or anything like that. So I mean, my top four are like, like amazing games, in my opinion, for my list. And then five down is just like, okay, you know, they were good, but a lot of them could be kind of interchanged. Um, you know, what, whatever. And I also, whenever you're talking about story, it made me think about, um, on my, like, as far as my top 10 list goes, and as far as I rank my games, I'm not very consistent in the way that I evaluate games, which is probably not good as, you know, a, a critic or what, or, you know, a person who plays a lot of games. I, I take a lot of different factors into games. You know, sometimes I think about just the sheer fun of a game or just the sheer whatever the emotion the game is trying to get me to feel that of the game. Sometimes I think about the music. Sometimes I think about how many hours I spend with the game. Sometimes I think about how many times I replay the game. Sometimes I think about how expensive or how cheap the game was. And just like all of those factors kind of come together to make me uh, rate a game a certain way, I guess. So, uh, th- those are, I don't know. That's just a little bit of my thought process on how I go forward with ranking games, I guess. Um, well, that's really good. Let's talk about that for a second. Cause I think that's something that we don't often talk about as critics. Um, so I think what you said makes total sense. And I think I kind of come at it from a different perspective. And in fact, when we go over our lists, um, I'm sure, I am sure that most of the games that I picked will be, um, unusual or unheard of to most people who listen to these kind of shows. So for me, I mean, I've been in, in playing games for like literally like like 35 years. So I've played a shitload of games. I've seen a lot of games. I've been around. And if you do something long enough, it takes more and more to surprise you or to please you. I mean, you've, you you know, you played one platformer and like your first platformer you think is great. But after you played your hundredth platformer, you really need a platformer to step it up. It's got to be something <laughs> special. It's got to be something fancy. And I, I don't think of that as being jaded. I just think that if you're a critic and you've been around for a long time, I mean, it's natural that your taste would develop. You're going to be looking for new experiences. You're going to be looking for people to push the genre forward. And so for me, um, I it takes it takes a lot to kind of make my list. I want to see like a new idea. I want to see a new mechanic. I want to see a new interpretation of old themes. Story always is a big winner with me because I feel like story is a place that games can really improve and have have needed improvement for many years. And so whenever somebody does a really well-written story, that always earns points with me. Just just for music, it doesn't count for much with me. Or just like tight production. Like if the graphics are just like the shiniest ever and you can count every <laughs> single pore on someone's forehead, I don't care. Like unless, unless the graphics are somehow like legitimately contributing to like a new type of experience, I, I don't care. I mean, and you'll see that reflected in my picks. A lot of my picks are very um, not focused on graphics. So whenever somebody comes up and they're like, oh, and this is just an example. I'm not trying to pick on this, but like, you know, Gears of War, I heard was an amazing looking game. So if somebody says, oh, Gears is on my top 10 because it looks so awesome. I, I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't care what it looks like. I mean, as long as it looks good enough for what it is, that's fine. But I really, for me, as the old salty, been around forever, played everything critic, like I really want to look for something that shows true creativity or true innovation or just something that really gets my my spark going. So that's probably why a lot of the current favorites are not going to be on my list this year. Well, uh, that's good. And I want to say that the, the I'm going to sound like a sellout whenever I say this, but the only game I've played in recent memory that that the, that's graphics are so good that they make me fall in love with the game even more is the fucking Order 1886 
Oh god, dude. I know. Oh, god. I I love that game. I love it to death. <laughs> I I know oh. I know all it is is a cover shooter and it, it, like it has the game has nothing more to offer than just cover shooting through one linear environment to the next. And bad cover shooting at too. It's I, not even good cover I, shooting. I don't think it's bad cover shooting. I think it is very tightly produced, but I all of the qualities of that game coming together just make me so happy it's so beautiful like every time i play it that like there are some people that are like like this year they're like oh uncharted 4 is the best looking game i've ever played and i'm like have you played the order 1886 i still think the order is the best game i've ever played the best looking game i've ever played and i just played it again like six or seven months ago and the voice acting is so good and the sound of your pistol clip ejecting and hitting a wood floor is the best sound ever in a video game (laughs) and oh my god i love that game and its graphics just influence how much more i love it but we're not here to talk about the order 1886 so i will stop um let me get back on track that's interesting that's that's good balance though because that shows like that we choose we value different things in our games right because i have played the order i think it's fucking garbage (laughs) i hate the order i i grant you that the graphics are amazing and like you know, that game seems really focused on getting you to pick up objects in the environment and, like, rotate them around to show, like, how detailed those objects are. But it's, like, it's so fucking stupid. It's, like, a, a total pointless waste of resources. But I get what you're saying. Like, that... I like that we like different things about these games and we value different things. So I think that'll give a, our, our, our top ten a little bit of a different spin. I hope that people listening to the show will uh, come away not feeling like they're listening to any other top ten show. I want them to feel like, yeah, that was Brad and Corey. Those guys are <laughs> fucked up. And I mean, really, my top 10 is just my number one is the best looking game that came out this year. And it just goes down the list to the worst looking game I played out of the top 10. That's all that's it's just graphics. That's all I care about. So shallow. Whatever, so shallow. whatever game has the most graphics. That's my number one game of the year. The most graphics. I love that. This game has so many graphics. Oh, my God. <laughs> OK, OK. Let me talk about my uh, my runners up before we get even more off track about talking about game qualities. Um my runners up, which are just literally my number eleven and number twelve games of the year. Uh, my number twelve is Samurai Three, which I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. It's an iOS yeah, game. Yeah. Um, I think part of the reason why I love that game so much, a, a, it's just it's just glorious. It is so, it's so cheerful and delightful, and the music is just amazing. And it's kind of like the sound of the pistol clip hitting the floor in the order. Just like the music of that game and the audio visual experience it gives and the sheer joy that spreads across my face whenever I see the music that I had been listening to for months actually put into the production of the game. Like, like listening to songs now, a standalone that I listened to then, I understand what the songs are more and how they contribute to the playing of the game. And, oh God, I just love that game so much. It's so, so great. Um, that's my number 12. Number 11, which is maybe a little bit of a surprising pick, is actually the Resident Evil 7 beginning hour demo. Um, I'm not a, uh, I'm not shy about putting demo like demos on my top 10 lists um, because I don't really consider the beginning hour demo a demo because it's not a slice of the game. It is a standalone experience that is like a sister to Resident Evil 7 that shows you the mechanics, the graphics, how it'll play, how it'll feel. It's kind of like what PT was supposed to be for Silent Hills before that all got canceled. And PT was my game of the year, like two or three years ago, whenever it came out. And I just think the Resident Evil 7 beginning hour demo is is marvelous. So that was actually my number 11 game of the year and my first runner up to my top 10 list. 
Interesting, interesting. I um, I have not played the Resident Evil 7 demo because it's too scary. I watched my son play it a little bit and it scared the shit out of me, so I'm not ever <laughs> going to come back to it. But I think that's a valid choice. I think it's a valid choice, especially when it's considered to be its own thing like that. So interesting pick. And considering the fact that they released the demo, they updated it to include more stuff, and then they updated it again to up updated it again um, to include <laughs> some more stuff. It's not like they just put it out there and forgot about it. I mean, they were very consciously giving more content to it over the course of the year, which is leading up to the launch of Resident Evil 7, which is in like two or three weeks at this point. Um so it's its own standalone experience, and I, I really like it, and I really like it for what it did. I know I complained a lot a few episodes ago about the ending content for the game, which I still think is bad, but I like the overall experience of it, and I think it gives me something that I can't find a lot of other places, so that is why it's my number 11. Right on, right on. And you know, I hope that Resident Evil 7, when it comes out, is good, because if it doesn't, if it's not good when it comes out, you know the first thing that people are going to say is, right? They should have stopped putting effort into the demo and made the fucking game better. Oh. So hopefully, hopefully Resident <laughs> Evil 7 is good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm planning on buying it day one, like faux show. So, I mean, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, I will be talking about it in about a month. So uh, I'm really looking forward right to on. it. Right on, right on. But uh, right on. Let's, talk about, all right, let's talk about the actual top 10 at this point. Um, we, uh, we spent a bunch of time talking about other stuff. Um, well, basically how we're going to do it for listeners is we're just going to say, you know, number 10 and then Brad and I will both talk about our picks and then we'll go to nine and both talk about our picks and then just kind of working our way up to number one. So, uh, Brad, do you want to start us off with number 10? Yeah, for sure. So um, my number 10 of 2016 is a game that I think I am literally the only person who played this game <laughs> in 2016. Uh, it's called Factotum 90 and it was on it's on Xbox One. And it's on PC. And this was the very first game that I ever enjoyed on my Xbox One. So, I mean, that's <laughs> that's one notable thing about it. Basically, it's kind of a puzzle game. You play as two robots, and you switch back and forth between them at will. And these two robots have to work together to solve puzzles. You're inside of a ship that's um, stranded in space. And so you guys are like little repair robots, and you have to get through these puzzles to kind of make it to the part of the ship that needs repair. And so I just loved everything about it. I felt like the designer, it's like a one-man studio. Uh, and I'm so sorry. I forgot the guy's name. He's a really nice guy. His name is, uh, okay, I'm not going to even, I'm gonna, not going to guess because I'm going to get it wrong. But he's a real nice guy, single-man studio. He shows extreme, extremely good judgment in his design of this game. Everything about this game feels like it is as well done as a single-person team could make it. Like, none of it reaches too far. Production is really tight. The puzzles are very smart and they're very player friendly. Like if something moves in the environment, like you push a switch, like it'll show you what moved and where and how to get there or whatever. So you know exactly what's going on. Uh, the the fail state, there's no fail state. You can make as many mistakes as you want and the robots just respawn, no big deal. Working together was a really cool idea because you'd have to switch back and forth and remember where one was and where the other one needs to be. And just everything about it was just really tight and really fun and really original. I really liked the concept of having these two robots together. And the thing that really sold it was that there was um, a narrator. He was another person who was trapped on the ship. And it was kind of cute because you, your character, couldn't talk because your, quote unquote, your mic was broken. <laughs> so this guy is talking to you and he's like, hey, man, I know you're there and I know you can hear me because you're moving the robots. And I guess your mic's broken. So I'm just going to talk to you. And it was like a really cool premise. Like it was a nice way to solve the silent protagonist uh, problem. It gave this... Uh, game a way to tell you what was going on in the story without having you read a bunch of fucking like text logs or audio logs or anything i just thought it was great i don't know if anybody else who played it i don't know if anybody else has even heard of it 
But Factotum 90, my number 10, played on an Xbox One, thought it was brilliant. Loved it. Loved it so much. What about you, Corey? What's your number 10? Uh, my number 10, I'm starting the list off with a console remaster, so we're getting one of these over with early, um, is Amnesia and Machine for Pigs, which was part of the Amnesia collection that came out on PlayStation 4 in early November. And I had never played Amnesia before, or the sequel, A Machine for Pigs, and I played both of them back-to-back uh, for review, actually. And I- I've already talked about it on the show, so I'm not going to waste a lot of time. Um, but I just want to say that I did not like the original Amnesia very much. I thought it was not—I thought it was sort of irrelevant at this point, um, as far as, like, scariness and storytelling and atmosphere goes, because it seems very dated— but uh, Amnesia Machine for Pigs, I feel like, is a much more sophisticated game. It is a lot more, like, walking uh, simulator-y than the first Amnesia. And I honestly feel like if Amnesia Machine for Pigs had come out this year, uh, I, I it might very well be in the same spot as, as number 10 on my list, or maybe even higher, um, had it debuted. Because it hasn't—it holds up really well. It is extremely creepy, Um there are parts of the game where you have a little lantern and I was switching my lantern off and roaming around in the dark, crouched down, because I was worried that one of the gross pig enemy things was going to like sneak up on me or see my lantern light and kill me. And it's it's just a solid horror experience. And I gave it number 10 on my game of the year list. Right on, right on. I have not played it, but I would like to. Once that Amnesia collection goes on sale, I will buy it, and I will not play it because it's too scary, but I will buy it. (laughs) Well, I support your support of the developers by giving them money, I guess. (laughs) That's as close as I come these days. (laughs) Well, let's uh, move on to number nine, Brad. Cool. Uh, Number nine, uh, this might be our first big point of contention. For me, (laughs) something that we talked about on just like the very last episode, The Final Station. Um this is a game made in Russia, a very small team. It's about an apocalyptic event that happens, and you play as a train conductor who must get to a certain location. I don't want to spoil anything because I think this game is great. But I love the atmosphere. I love the themes of being stuck in a hopeless situation and just kind of doing the best that you can, even though there's really no way out of it. Kind of like the hopelessness that that entails and, and how people survive in, in the face of that. Uh, very bleak, very gray, but, but but in a good way. Like I felt like it really connected with me on a lot of levels. I really admired a lot of the production. And I felt like it was really something new. Like Seeing something like this really felt like it was not an American-made game. I could tell this game was made somewhere else because the sensibilities and the way that they approached it was just so not what you'd expect from something um, made in America. Now, I know that we talked about this, Corey. Uh, I know that you played it and you kind of bounced off the combat because you felt like it was too hard. And if memory serves, you gave it one more shot, didn't you? I did. I uh, like I, we talked about on the very uh, just the episode before this. Um, I, I want to like this game a lot. I like everything this game has going on, except how difficult the combat is. And like a day or two after we recorded our last show, I went back to it just to give it another fair shake and to see, you know, if I could get back into it. Maybe I just needed to cool off to get through the hard part that I was on. And I actually discovered two things about this game that irritated me to the point where I, I like nearly actively disliked this game at this point. The first, oh no, the, oh no. the first okay. of which is when you die, you respawn like a room before you died, which is great. I love that um, because it's kind of like a Hotline Miami kind of thing, where like you die, you respawn in like three seconds, and then you basically just try to go back into the room you were in to do whatever you were trying to do the first time. 
if you turn the game off and come back to it, you do not start there. It takes you all the way back to the beginning of the level where the train lets you off. And I thought that was total bullshit because I had to go through all of the level to get back up to that point where I kept dying over and over again the first time. So that's the first thing I found out that really bothered me. The second thing that bothered me is I got like an item that you need to leave the area and uh, most of the levels work. You kind of like go through the area one way and the levels are like circular. So you, you get back to the train a different way. And I got the thing I needed and there were some hard rooms in front of me and I knew they were hard. And I thought, okay, well, instead of doing the circular thing, I'm just going to go back the way I came. Like, maybe because this part is so hard, I can ba basically just leave, and I can go back the way I came, and I maybe there's survivors down there that I'll just have to give up on or not save, and I can be penalized for that, but I'd rather just move on. So I go up the ladder of the area that I'm in and try to get back into a house. There's a little dumpster next to the house with, like, a fire escape above it. The main character cannot climb onto the dumpster to, to take the ladder up, and I, I get it. Like, I get that the game does not want me to go back the way I came. I, I get it. But I don't get that they can't put something better there than a fucking dumpster that I can't climb on. Because the guy that you're playing as can punch through walls. And I just have to say that if you can punch through damaged walls and completely obliterate them with one punch, but you can't climb onto a dumpster... Your game has some big fucking problems for me, so that's when I turned the game off and decided I'm never playing this again. Oh, but Corey, that's in the lore, dude. You must have missed that. He spends, uh, every time he goes to the gym, he skips leg day, right? He just does upper body all the time, so he's really he's really good on top. When it comes to, to like, you know, his jumps, his, he's, he's neglecting legs. That's the problem. If he works out his arms all the time, he should just be able to reach his arms up and muscle up his way onto the dumpster, and jumping wouldn't yeah, have to be involved at all. Yeah, maybe. The skinny toothpick legs hold him back, though, so that's a problem. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, anyway, I'm really sorry to hear that you bounced off. I mean, I get why you did, and I don't fault you for it, because I don't like feeling the way that you're describing in certain games. But I was able to get past that hump, and I, I did feel like it was worth it. I mean, I, I do share your frustrations. This game needs to improve in certain ways, which is probably why it's number nine and not higher. But I, I, I really did feel like it was a really wonderful uh, experience once you get past the combat. And I'm really glad that I took the trip. But enough about my number nine. Corey, what's your number nine? Yeah, my official number nine, and we already talked about this a little bit, is Firewatch. Um, back when I played Firewatch, because it came out in like February or March, it's been, like you said, it was an early game release. This is one of those games that I feel like some people forgot about. Um, I liked Firewatch, uh, but I had a lot of problems with it in the sense that the story didn't exactly wrap up in a satisfying way. And there's a lot of people out there that will say that maybe that's kind of the point of it. But I don't care about that. I think that the game, as you go along, presents a lot of interesting story threads. And then it picks the absolute weakest, like, one that has nothing to do with anything else and wraps it up on that story thread. But maybe I should back up. I have a really bad habit on this podcast of, like, jumping into opinions about the game without saying what the game actually is. Um, Firewatch, for those who don't know, is about a guy who goes to the woods. His wife has, um, like, dementia or something. What is it? Is that what it is, Brad? It's, like, early onset dementia or some kind of mental degradation, something going on. But she, like, loses her mind and goes into a nursing home. And he, like, needs to take care of her. But then he, like, puts her in a... He just, he just like, kind of bails. Like, he can't deal with what's going on, and he goes to the woods or something. Yeah, he, like, I think she goes under, like, her parents' care or something, because they live in, like, Australia or something, and I, I might be getting this wrong. But the point of the story is 
he takes a job as a as a fire watch, which is literally like a guy that lives in the mountains, like in a forest, in a national forest, in a tower, and spends a summer watching for fires. And the point of the game is there's his boss is in a different fire watch tower. Her name is Delilah, and most of the game is just exploring the forest, and she like sends you on tasks to do, and you talk to her over a walkie-talkie. And I think most of the game is great. I liked exploring the forest. I liked talking to her on the walkie-talkie. The game has smart dialogue. It's very mature dialogue. Um, and it brings some things that I that I think either I haven't seen before or that haven't been done this well in games. But my like my big problem the my big problems with the game are actually the beginning and the ending. The ending of which I already said it doesn't wrap up satisfactorily for me. And the beginning, like when we were talking about the whole like onset of dementia thing, that whole sequence is presented as basically just like a text log that you read through. And the game lets you make choices, but the choices don't really matter. Because the same thing happens no matter what. It's like kind of like an A, B, like text adventure kind of thing. And one quality of storytelling that it's kind of like storytelling 101 is that you should show and not tell. And this game is like all telling from the start up until the part where you get to the Firewatch Tower. And that was enough for a lot of people. But that was like a big turnoff for me was that the game didn't go at through any lengths to actually show you what happened it's just like read these text logs these text logs and make a few choices and then all right we're gonna start the game now with you and and the firewatch tower but uh but overall i liked it i mean enough for it to be number nine on my list and um that's that's it i guess yeah i played firewatch too and like i said it was my it just missed my top 10 i think that we're basically on the same page i thought the beginning was clever because they're kind of like condensing several years of like life events into like a twine game, which I mean, yeah, it wasn't perfect, but I thought it got you up to speed pretty well. So that worked for me. I can understand why you didn't like it, but I thought it was good enough for me. And I really liked the voice acting was great. I really liked the dialogue was wonderful. I think your use of the word mature is perfect in this. This is a very mature game where there's no boobs or sex or bloody violence or anything, but it's just talking about life and like how things are when you're an adult and how how you feel and like what you think about situations. Like it's really mature in that sense. So I thought it was great, but the game, uh, you know, kind of like you said, it really falls apart at the end for me. I know some people were disappointed about the way that the personal aspect of the game um, comes together. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who might want to play this. So I'm going to be kind of vague here. That wasn't the part that bothered me. The part that bothered me was I think what, what bothered you was that there's kind of a mystery uh, going on in the woods. So it's like you're out there, you're watching fires, you're talking to your friend. That's great. That's all wonderful. Uh, but the mystery that you're kind of out there to solve, it starts out really good, and I felt like it, it really had me hooked for a while. But it's it, it kind of felt to me like the developers either didn't really know how to finish it properly or they changed direction halfway through. Now, I heard a rumor that something happened in production where the original cut of the game, like, I guess, was not good, or people who tested it really hated it. And so I, I heard there was some kind of, like, 11th hour rewrite, and that was the version that we got. I don't know if that's true, but I heard it a couple times. If that's true, it kind of makes sense, because how they end the game and how that mystery resolves, I felt was just really, really mishandled. It fell flat for me, did not connect. And for a game which had such wonderful emotional value to end the way that it did, in terms of the mystery... I thought was like, man, you guys, oh, you guys should have went back to the drawing board on this. But in general, wonderful experience. 90% of it, I think, is great. So, yeah, it's it's I can see why you picked it as number nine. Yeah. And I mean, I like it because uh, there's not a whole lot like it out there on the market as far as like 
story maturity goes um and, totally, totally and it's i think it's important that you said it's not it's not like boobs and blood mature like it is mature in exactly the way you said it and there's not a whole lot of games out there that really do that at least not the ones i've played so that makes it pretty important for me agreed agreed it is a truly truly mature game for sure but uh i think that's all i have to say about it is there anything else you want to add no, I'm good. I'm good on that. Firewatch. Firewatch. Firewatch number nine. All right, let's uh, let's go on to number eight then. My number eight is Tharsis. Corey, have you heard of Tharsis? Oh yeah, it's like the space board game thing that's really hard. Exactly, right? okay. exactly. So this is kind of like a board game turned into a video game. Basically, you're on a spaceship that is traveling to Mars. Uh, catastrophe happens while you're en route. And, like, all sorts of shit goes wrong. Like, all... Your ship is divided into sections, like, these little modules. And, like, there will be a fire in the front of the ship. There will be, like, an electrical shortage in the rear. The the cargo compartment that grows the food will, like... will All the food will go rotten or something. And just, like, all this crazy shit will go bad. But it's not... It's it's like a board game. So, like, the, the ship is laid out like a board. You move your astronauts around, you know, turn by turn. You have to... You, have, like, you actually roll dice... To see whether you like complete a challenge or not like do you fix the electrical panel yes or no you know roll a six you fix it you roll a one you get shocked you know that kind of a thing and so it's really um hard and when i first started playing tharsis i fucking hated it i hated it it was it's really really hard i feel like the tutorial is okay but it's not as good as it could be and there's a lot of nuance to how you play the game there's a lot of little tricks that you need to kind of figure out apparently if you're very skilled at playing these kind of games in real life, I've heard from some people who are very avid board gamers. They're like, oh, yeah, that was a great game. Loved it. It was real fun. And I'm like, didn't you think it was hard? They're like, oh, no, I played a thousand games like that. I know all about that kind of stuff. So clearly that is not one of my fortes because I struggled a lot with it in the beginning. I just lost and lost and lost and lost and lost. And I just wanted to win once and I couldn't win. I lost like so many times. But eventually... Uh, you unlock some extra characters and these extra characters have like little, a little better abilities than your starting characters do. So for me, that was kind of the breakthrough. Once I got um, a couple better abilities, I was able to, by that time, cause I had lost like 50 times or something, I was able to pick up on what was causing me problems. So I avoided those things, had some better characters, finally made it through. And then once I won once, I was able to win a bunch more times after that, once I had kind of figured out how the game worked. So once I was done, I was like, oh, this is a great game. I really like how elegant it is. I like what they're doing. I like the systems in place. Like, it all makes sense now that I understand it. It's beautiful. But once, but, but before I knew what it was, it was so frustrating. I just, oh, it was made me so mad. I remember tweeting about it, just like spewing venom towards it. And <laughs> the developers were on Twitter and we were talking back and forth. And I mean, much respect to those guys. They're a very nice team. Excellent team. Um, but they were trying to coach me through it and they, you know, they felt my pain. They knew where I was coming from and it, they handled it really well. And in the end, I give it a very like bitter recommendation because I think it's a great game, but anybody who plays this, you got to be ready to like have your ass handed to you like, <laughs> like 50 times in a row, just be, be prepared to lose. But once you get over that cusp and once you win once, you're like, yes, did it. That felt like so amazing to win. So it's, it's a really brilliant game, tough to love, but once you love it, I think you do love it. So there's my number eight tharsis uh cory number eight for you sir before i say my number eight i want to say something that's i already know oh yeah i know yeah. it's gonna annoy you and make you roll your eyes but i want to say it for those purposes exactly would you call tharsis the dark souls of board game video games oh dude totally i hate to say that <laughs> let's not go there but that is definitely the dark souls of video game board games for <laughs> sure absolutely absolutely 
Well, uh, I just had to say it because I think because for listeners that don't know, Brad hates when people are like, oh, this is the Dark Souls of this. Like Dark Souls is the only game that exists in the universe. So I had to throw that in. Oh, God, it gets brought up so much. I hate it. Yeah, different topic, different show. But yes, <laughs> long story short, Tharsis is totally the Dark Souls of video board games for sure. Well, uh, my number eight, I feel like a ridiculous because I'm getting all of my like walking simulatory games like out out in the front or in like the back end of my list. My number eight is uh, the Dear Esther. Um, I can't remember what it's called. It's like a blank edition for PlayStation. It's like the 4. Landmark. Landmark. Edition, isn't it? Thank landmark? you. Yeah. Landmark edition. Dear yeah. Esther, Landmark edition. Um, they came out for PlayStation Four. And to be honest, I I've played this game on PC before because I. Luckily, it is n- not demanding, so my my uh, little MacBook Air can actually run it. And I think I've played it twice on my computer, and I played it twice on PlayStation 4, and it is my number 8. And if, like, that isn't enough to say, you know, I don't know, deserving enough that I've played it twice before, and then I played it twice again when it came out this year, like, I don't really know what else I can say. But for those that don't know... um. Dear Esther is literally like the OG walking simulator. It was, as far as I know, the first one, and I hope I'm not wrong on that, but it is a game where it's developed by the studio called The Chinese Room, and they did their most recent game as Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, which came out like a year or two ago on PlayStation 4. But uh, Dear Esther is a game where you play as a man on an island, like an older gentleman on an island, and he is walking through the island and exploring it and he is sort of like reading uh letters sort of aloud where he's talking about um his wife i think it's his wife and about just like sort of like reading off memories that he had with his wife as he explores the island and the game is just absolutely beautiful it's like sort of like playing through a really moving poem it it just looks gorgeous it's paced really well. Um, I cried whenever I played it, like no joke. It's just really emotional. There's sections in the game that are just so beautiful and the writing is emotional. And it, it, I think it's just handled, the whole thing is just handled well and very maturely. And I, this game is totally, I hate saying this, but it's totally one of those not for everyone video games because it is literally a walking simulator. Like there is nothing you do except walk through paths in this island and listen to him read off these memories. Um, but the story and the emotions that it conjure up are so strong that I uh, I just adore this game so much. And seeing it remastered on PS4 and able to be played on consoles for the first time, I just, if, if anyone's remotely interested in, you know, the quote-unquote walking simulator genre, I would give this a shot because it is so good. It's so good. Right on, right on. I bought it. I haven't played it yet, but it's on. It's still on my hard drive, so I plan to get to it. it. It's a pretty quick play, isn't it? A couple hours or something? Yeah, it's like two. Unless you do a little bit of like extra exploring, it's like two hours tops. Okay, I'll definitely knock that out at some point, first quarter here. So I'll, I will I will fill you in when I get to it. I have a feeling you're going to think it's boring and bounce off of it really quickly. <laughs> possibly, very possibly. But I've heard so much about it. And like you said, I think it was very, like the first... Maybe not technically the first that ever existed, but I think it was the first walking simulator that people knew of or paid attention to, or it was the one that kind of put walking sims on the map. So I definitely want to play it just for that purpose. So I'll get to it, but not yet, not yet. Well, let's let's move on to number seven. Number seven for me, Downwell. Have you played Downwell, Corey? I don't even want to talk about Downwell. I think this game is so stupid. 
Oh no! <laughs> I played it. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna have to talk about it now. I played let, it. Let me on... let me do my okay, bit. Okay, you, yeah, then, you, yeah, you go first. You go first. <laughs> let me tell the good first, and we're gonna get to the bad afterwards. So Danwell, um, again, another small indie from a small team uh, from a guy in Japan. It is it's a pretty arcade arcade like game, uh, and I don't usually go for those, but this one really grabbed me. You play as a person who's got guns on their shoes, and you're falling down a well, like literally down a well, and if you want to jump, you can jump, but jumping fires your gun boots. So it's kind of like a balance between shooting and jumping. You have limited ammo, and ammo is also like your boost. So it's kind of like you're managing like your height and what you're shooting at the same time. There's a bunch of different gun boots that you can equip. Uh, there's little shops where you can take a breather for a minute. But basically, you're just falling and falling and falling and shooting things as you're falling and shooting to stop falling. And you just it's just very arcade-like action. Very simple, straightforward. But I felt like the controls were super tuned. I felt like that micromanagement of your actions from moment to moment was really, really uh, engaging. Kind of hard to, to figure out at first, but once I found a groove with it, I really got into it. I haven't beat it yet, but I spent like a week just really playing it like really hardcore. And it's tough. It gets really tough. Uh, but I got pretty far. Didn't finish it. Had to put it up to get to some review responsibilities, but it's still on my PS4. I do plan to come back to it. And I just thought it was really... Really well done. It's been a long time since something so arcadey um, grabbed me. But apparently something about this game did not grab you, Corey Motley. What happened? Well, I think it's important to know, which you did not mention, that it, it is a 2D game, and it kind of looks like an old-school Mega Man game. Like, kind of. Totally. Um, sort of, yeah. So it's not one of those, like, 3D games where you're, like, falling down and have to, like, move in 3D space. All you're doing is moving left and right and shooting your little gun boots and trying to, like, kill enemies and whatever. I, I bought this game because it was on sale on PS4 for like $2, and I people were tweeting about it, and I was like, all right, I'll give this a shot. Like, it's $2. Like, what do I have to lose? Um, and I just think it's dumb. Like, it's kind of, it's almost an infinite runner. Like, almost, because you're just like falling down this well. And I play, I mean, I only played it for like a half an hour, but it's one of those games where like you put in, you try to finish a level for like, 15 minutes and then you die and you just have to start the whole thing over again which is like totally the point of the game but i it's just 100 percent not my kind of game i am not interested in spending 15 minutes trying to fall down a well correctly just to die and have to do it all over again i'm not here for it brad oh i hear that and usually ordinarily i would agree with you but the game feels so good to play once you get once you come to grips with it, I think that um, just the simple act of playing it to me was really well done, like masterfully so. So I really enjoy that aspect of it. And it is worth noting, I probably would have quit it except for the fact that there were people on Twitter who said, no, 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 you actually can finish it. Like there is an end point. So I, that to me was like, oh, shit. OK, well, if, if there is a finish, if I can roll credits, then I got to I got to be in for this. So uh, I do hope to finish it someday. If it was an infinite runner, I think I probably would have been done with it a while ago. Uh, just you know, oh, this is good, and moved on. But I got, I got to finish. But uh, anyway, I get, I get why you don't like it, though. Again, like we're gonna be saying in the entire episode, not for everyone. <laughs> so, anyway, what, what is your number seven, Corey? Uh, my number seven is a game that is very high profile that absolutely nobody is talking about anymore, and it makes me quite sad. Um, my number seven is Mirror's Edge Catalyst. Um, I think maybe I've talked about it on the show before, but uh. It is a reboot of Mirror's Edge, which is kind of silly because there's only one Mirror's Edge game and now they're rebooting the franchise with the second game. But it's one of those games I absolutely adore the first Mirror's Edge. Um, 
I actually did parkour in real life for several years. Now I'm a parkour photographer um, in my free time. And the the game just had the first game had an amazing level design. It had a great female protagonist because she it's one of those games that had a woman protagonist and the the game just handles her in a way that's not that never ever ever references the fact that she's a woman or that she has boobs or that she can't do things as well as a man like it's kind of like portal in the sense that you're like playing as a woman the whole time but like you kind of could be playing as a man and i feel like that makes it a good like feminist platform which kind of sounds backwards but um mirror's edge catalyst came out this year and a lot of people knocked it because the first game, it was just a series of linear levels. And this game is totally open world. You have to run across the map in order to take a mission, to run somewhere else, to do a mission. And I do not really like open world games that much because usually they're all Grand Theft auto games where you're in streets, you get in a car, you drive for five minutes. I mean, I've talked about it like five times on the podcast before. Open world games, I think, are not that great unless they have a world that I'm really into. But the cool thing about Mirror's Edge Catalyst is because you're doing parkour, the open world game just makes perfect sense because instead of getting in a car and holding R2 for five minutes until you get to your destination, you're actively looking around and scanning the environment and pressing you know, R1 to jump. And then if you're falling from a, from a high height, you have to click R2 when you land to roll out. So there's a lot more like tactical input and thought that goes simply into moving across the, the world. And, I mean, the story is really dumb. The voice acting is okay. Um, So that stuff is just kind of like whatever. But I feel like this was the perfect direction for the game to go. But allegedly, I'm like the only person that thought that because I love this game. I think it's beautifully done. The visual design is very close to the first one where it's like highly saturated colors against white backgrounds. And I just had a blast playing it. And I was shocked whenever I reviewed it and all these other reviews came out that were like, oh, the open world is bad. Oh, and I'm like, well, it's a parkour game. Like, like, did you want to just run in a straight line for the whole game down 10 levels and then call it quits? Like this game was born to be open world. And now that it is, everybody's complaining about it. And I just didn't, I didn't really get why everybody thought the open world was such a bad idea because I loved it. I played the demo and I just kind of felt like it wasn't for me. I played the first Mirror's Edge. I thought it was okay. I didn't like love it. I didn't think it was terrible. I thought it was cool, but it had some problems. Uh, I mean, I went to the trouble of getting the the pacifist, you know, the no guns run. So I did that in the first Mirror's Edge and that was a good time, more or less. But when I came to this one, I just was like, eh, I don't like open level or open worlds. And I, you know, I, I've never done parkour in real life, so I didn't have that connection to it. <laughs> and I just felt like I'm just going to be running all the time. Like it didn't strike me. So I just, I didn't even try it. Uh, maybe I'll pick it up for five or 10 bucks. It, it dropped in price really quickly. You can see it on sale uh, basically anywhere. So maybe I'll come back to it uh, if I get some free time this year. Yeah, I totally recommend it. And for anybody that's listening, I mean, if you read reviews and you thought, that the open world sounded bad uh i would give it a shot anyway i think it's great and like you said it's been on sale a lot i think it's like 30 dollars standard at this point and only goes on sale deeper from there so i mean if you spot it for 20 dollars um i would not hesitate to pick it up if i were uh interested in this game right on right on but uh, let's move on to number six Number six for me, again, another game that I believe I was the only person who played it all year long. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you haven't even heard of this. It's called Joe Deaver's Lone Wolf, 
console edition. Have you even heard of it, Corey? I've only heard of it because I heard you talk about it with Carlos on the Video Game Break podcast. Okay, so that was me. Have you heard of it anywhere else besides me? No. No, that's what I figured. Uh, This is a game. It's a hybrid game. It's partially text adventure, and it's partially turn-based RPG-style combat mashed together. Sounds weird, but it really works well. And this is based on a series of game books. Uh, So Joe Deaver is the author. They're called Lone Wolf. Apparently, they're pretty big in Britain. I have never seen an actual book in the Lone Wolf series here in America. I, I guess they are around, but never come across them. So apparently, this was a pretty cool get for some people who were already familiar with the license. I had never heard of it before. But I really liked the way that these two genres, which seem to be disconnected, came together. Like, you would read through a bunch of text and it would say oh you know you walk into a room and you see something dark at the end do you walk ahead or do you go around you know whatever it's just like giving you choices like that and depending on how you built your character like you would have these choices so like you would have options and i thought it was so neat because usually with text adventures they're so boring and just so focused on getting you to replay and just like really really static this one felt kind of dynamic because Depending on what you had done in the past, you would have different items available to you, and those items would give you different choices. Depending on how you did in combat, your stats would be different, and those stats would give you different choices in the text. And so, like, there would be, like, you know, almost like choose your own adventure, with some of the choices being open or closed to you, depending on how you had performed in the past, which was great. And then you got to the RPG combat, uh, again, really depending on how you had spec your character, what weapons you were using. It went to, like, a semi, like, kind of 3D view, and you had different abilities that you could do. Uh, like Final Fantasy style, like active time battle sort of thing. So I thought that those two elements coming together were great. I thought the story was uh, pretty well written for what it was, and I had just a really good time playing it. Not perfect. I think it got a little bit too hard in certain sections, and I did have to restart one time because I kind of spec myself uh, into a corner. But overall, I thought it was pretty brilliant. I would be really uh, excited if they came out with a sequel, so we'll see. But uh, definitely recommend it if you like Choose Your Own Adventure, if you like Text Adventure, if you like... Uh, game books like the fighting fantasy or something like that so yeah pretty good stuff pretty good stuff Corey, um, what number six for you sir number six for me is deus ex mankind divided um anybody who knows me knows that deus ex human revolution is one of my favorite games of all time uh pretty much like if you meet me in person and you shake my hand, usually I'm like, "Oh, hi, I'm Corey. Have you played Deus Ex: uh, Human Revolution?" It's one of my favorite games of all time. So that actually did happen the first time I met you, by the way. That that was a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. So like, <laughs> everybody knows I love that game. Um, I adore it. I'm not here to talk about um, how good or how uh, how other people think about it, but I will say that Deus Ex: Mankind Divided came out this year, and it had been a long time coming. This game was in development for five years. Usually, studios turn sequels around in about two to three years, but uh, Idis Montreal took their time with this game, which I appreciated. Um, but I have to say, I think that that is actually what kind of made uh, made it feel like they shot themselves in the foot a little bit, because this game does not at all feel like it took five ga- or five years to be made. It feels like a game that should have come out two years after uh, Human Revolution, because it's one of those sequels that doesn't really improve a whole lot upon the game before it. Um, and I said this, uh, Brad and I are both on the GameCritics.com podcast, so I talked about it there, the Game of the Year podcast there, but uh, it's one of those games where every every single facet of it, the level design, the story, the voice acting, the characters, the script, um, is actually, in my opinion, worse than 
than the game that came before it. The only thing that's better about Mankind Divided is the fluidity and controls. It has four control options, and it kind of lets you play it. It really does let you play it any way you want because uh, Hebron Evolution, they like they said you could play it any way you want, but it was one of those games where if you got into combat, you like really had to watch your ass or you'll die in like five seconds because the controls don't work that well for an action game. But uh, Mankind Divided actually handles its action segments a lot better than Human Evolution. But I just have to say, I mean, I played this game like three times, so I can't act like I, I played, you know, I played it once and put it down in disgust. I really like this game. But the story pacing was terrible. Um, it, the writing just was not nearly as good. It felt like they wrote the game because they had to, and they didn't have time to really like let the character flourish within the game. Because um, every character is just some like blowhard, like, oh, I'm a serious dude. I'm going to say serious things. Then we're going to move on to the next scene, where we talk about more serious things. Whereas the first game actually had like some lighthearted stuff in it and some characters that were actually interesting. But it just feels like overall Mankind Divided feels like a bad second act and a three-part story. So hopefully whatever they have planned for the third game will uh, will clean up this mess a little bit and they'll do a little bit better. Um, but I guess I'll just have to wait and see whenever that comes out. Hopefully it's not five years from now. Um, kind of with you, and I, I dislike this game so much that it's not even it wasn't an also ran it's not on my list i was a big big fan of uh human revolution i loved it uh a lot i thought it was very good um but yeah i just felt like this was more of the same and basically worse like you said i mean the writing for me is really kind of what killed it i felt like it was really poorly handled i didn't care about the characters i didn't care about the story and this was the game where they were really trying to play off of the feeling of discriminating against uh, augmented people. That's what they call the people who have the mechanical implants. So there was like a lot of the game that seemed to be wanting to talk about the cultural relevance of discrimination, about racism and that kind of thing. Great idea, but I just felt like they gave it kind of lip service and it didn't really go anywhere significant. So I felt like they kind of missed the boat on that. And I just, I just felt like it was just the same, but not as good. I just, I just didn't get into, it. I didn't even finish it. I got about halfway through and I kind of just didn't give a fuck anymore, so I just turned it off. So, yeah, it was kind of missed for me. Sad. Yeah, it is sad, but, I mean, it is what it is. I still played it a lot. I still recommend it. The Deus Ex series, for me, is kind of therapeutic, where I can just put it on, and I understand the, the pillars of gameplay very well, so I can just kind of play it and, and, and just enjoy myself. But as a critical gaming experience, I just think it's not nearly as well done as, uh, as Human Revolution. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, uh, let's move on to number five. Five, for me, is a game that we are going to be talking more about a little bit later in the podcast, so I will keep it short and say that Super Hot is the most innovative shooter I've played in years. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I thought it was great. I, uh, I, I think their spin on turning a first-person shooter and making it a, not really a turn-based thing, but kind of a more of a puzzly thing uh, this is the game where everybody freezes if you're not moving, and everybody moves when you move, so it kind of gives it a very tactical aspect. I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was very well done. It got in and out. It didn't overstay its welcome. Good times all around, and we are going to be talking more about it in a few minutes. That's true. Corey, let's move on to your number five. My number five is um, another... I'm in, like, 
my my first leg of top 10 was walking simulators and my next leg is is sequels that are just like marginally better than their first games and my number five is dishonored 2 um i i liked the first dishonored game a lot it took me a while to realize how much i liked it it's one of those games where as i was playing it the third time i was like wow i must really like this game or else i wouldn't be playing it three times um and Dishonored 2 came out this year. I bought it on day one. I, I like it. And I actually have to say, a lot of people have this game really high up on their game of the year lists. And maybe I'm just not as forgiving, but this game just doesn't really do a whole lot that the first game didn't do. And I mean, it does do just about everything better. I mean, the story is, you know, about as good. The characters are about as good. Um, it's not like Deus Ex where everything is like worse and just kind of repeated. But I, like, I don't, I don't know if necessarily like just having more of the same is good enough for me. I mean, I still think it's a great game. Obviously, it's number five on my list. I mean, I've played it through twice. I'm planning on playing through it again now that they've added New Game Plus to it. But it's just like. I mean, if you've played the first Dishonored, it's just more of that. Um, it doesn't feel that different, really, in any way, shape, or form. It's just more of the exact same stuff. And, I mean, if you like that, that's good, because I liked it. But I was maybe just hoping there would be a little bit more to it than that. I don't know. I, I, I'm at a weird crux where it's like, you know, I want the game, obviously, not to be, like, way different than the first game. But I just want, like, a little something extra i guess but uh i don't know that's how i feel about dishonored 2 i uh i played dishonored 2 for like i don't know two hours or something i am not a fan of the first dishonored i clearly am not a fan of dishonored 2 it didn't stick with me i just felt like i didn't like the story i don't like the world i don't like the art style and something about the thing that really got me though was something that was a problem in the first dishonored where so like like look at um mankind or uh, human revolution Deus Ex human revolution first person you're very stealthy, uh, you would think that on paper it's basically the same thing as Dishonored. Uh, Dishonored has more of a magic bent, Deus Ex is more technology of course, but you're still doing first person stealth for most of the game. For some reason Deus Ex really clicked with me. I felt like I could get into that. It worked really well. Felt good. In Dishonored, I've never been able to really get my head around how they want you to go through these levels. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I get seen all the time. I never feel like I know what I'm doing. Something about that game is just it just disconnects with me. I can't I can't get into that groove that they want you to get in. And that was true again with Dishonored too. I just I started playing it. it. Feels clumsy. It doesn't feel good to me. And I hear a lot of people say they really like it, that it feels good to them, which is great. But for some reason, just for me, it is just a really poor fit. I don't like anything about it. Uh, I was done after two hours and I moved on. So I'm, I'm, I'm good with not having it on my list at all. Not interested. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's totally one of those games where it's like, if you like the first one, you'll probably like the second one. But if you didn't like the first one, the second one's going to make absolutely no strides in changing your mind on that. Exactly. It felt like, it, it felt like I was replaying the first game and all the things I didn't like were still the things I didn't like. So I, yeah, nothing about it's going to change your mind. Well, uh, let's move on to number four then. Number four, um, another game. Again, this is like a theme with me. Another game that nobody played this year. It's Shirin the Wanderer, Tower of Fortune, and the Dice of Fate. And it was a Vita exclusive, which by itself kind of damns it to a very, very small audience. <laughs> and not including um, its title that is also ridiculous. I know. The title's bad. The, the platform is very limited. It's uh, a roguelike. So that in itself kind of narrows down the audience as well. 
I played the original Sheeran on 3DS. It was like Mystery Dungeon, Sheeran the Wanderer. And I thought it was like fucking like amazing. I thought it was the most amazing game um, for many reasons. Uh, straight up roguelike, like as roguelike as roguelike gets, basically. And Sheeran the Wanderer, the new one, the one that I'm talking about now, basically the same. Same kind of game, but the developers have polished the shit out of this formula. <laughs> like they have got it so down. It's so friendly to the player while still being a hard-ass roguelike really brutal but at the same time you never feel like it was really unfair like you know what's going on you know the rules the rules are consistent if you know what you're doing and you plan accordingly you can make it through this game and if you play it for any length of time you will make progress like it's you know it's it's certainly a roguelike but you can hedge your bets you can save some weapons for later if you die you go back and get the weapons you can put some money aside for the future you meet friends along the way, and sometimes when you're in a bad spot, a friend will show up and help you out so you don't have to go it alone. If you like roguelikes, I mean, like, no joke, and I don't mean this to sound like hyperbole. I know that roguelikes are not everybody's cup of tea, which is fine. But if you like roguelikes, and I do, I like well-done roguelikes, this is, like, pretty much the best one I've ever played. I feel like it's it does so much correct. It does so much right. It gets so much... So much is just on point and smart decisions and feels right and... It's just a wonderful game. If you like roguelikes, this is pretty much, like I said, the best one I've ever played. So if you don't like them, not going to change your mind, just like Dishonored 2. But if you do like roguelikes, you owe it to yourself to check this one out. I will never do that. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> Apparently, like, 99% of the game-playing uh, world out there is not going to check it out either. But I loved it. I thought it was great. Well, uh... Like I said before, from number four on, for me, this is, like, where it gets serious for me for Game of the Year. Like, five down is kind of a wash, more or less. But my top four are, like, the ones that I really loved this year. And I can see Brad's eye roll coming from across the United States whenever I say what my number four Game of the Year is. But uh, my number four is Inside by Playdead. Um, Do you want to get any size out before I go on, Brad? Oh, no, I'll get my size in once you give the spiel. Tell people what it is, and I'll tell you what's wrong with it. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I Inside is, for those who don't know, um, it is developed by Playdead. Their most famous game to date is probably uh, Limbo, which came out like six or seven years ago on the Xbox uh, 360. Uh, Limbo kind of set the tone for how successful indie games could be on consoles, more or less, and... Inside, uh, I mean, it. speaking of sequels that feel like the same, Inside's not a sequel to Limbo, but it's a, more of a spiritual successor. It's a side-scroller where you play as a boy in sort of this sci-fi world where he's constantly on the run from something, and he's trying to get somewhere to investigate something. I'm leaving this very vague. Um, and it just feels so good. And the story, I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, what's going on with the story like it's kind of one of those games where like if you if 10 people play it and you ask them all what the story is they're going to give you like 15 different answers but just like the overall feeling of the game and the gameplay and the sound design like if you played this game and did not play it with headphones on you robbed yourself of like half of the experience because the sound design is pivotal um, the the atmosphere, the the technology, the ending sequence. I know everybody talks about the ending sequence of the game. I, I don't want to talk it up too much because by the time I talk it up and everybody else does, people are going to play it. People like Brad are going to play it and they're going to be like, oh, this isn't nearly as good as everybody said it was. 
I love this game. I think it's amazing. It's only like three to four hours long. So if I'm like in one of those weird moods where I just like want something somber to play that I can like play from start to finish in one sitting, I will go to play it inside. I've played it like four times already this year. I think it's great. Now, Brad, go ahead and shit all over it. <laughs> I had a big lunch too. Oh. <laughs> uh, I played inside and I finished it. Uh, I really liked Limbo a lot when that came out. And I think it's very accurate to say that this feels very much like Limbo. Almost too much. I feel like it's just kind of the same thing over uh, for most of the game. Uh, I mean, I think it's okay. The problem for me was just like, like I just said, it just felt like too much like Limbo. And a lot of the game, I, I realize there's a story here. And, you know, maybe I'm just not smart enough to, to click into it. But I got my interpretation. I thought I understood what was going on. It made me think about things once the game wrapped because there's, of course, a twist at the end. But I just felt like like two-thirds of the game really had nothing to do with where the game was actually going. I felt like it was just kind of filler, and it was just puzzles to have puzzles, and it didn't really build on like what I think they were really trying to do. And I think that the ending is really interesting. Um, it made me think about what the protagonist, his intentions were, like who he really was, like what the whole goal... I mean, I love when you get to the end of a game... And it just really recontextualizes everything you've done up until that point. And it takes a real trick to kind of do that well. A lot of games try to do it and fail. But I, I, feel, like, I feel like Inside pulled that off, so I give it respect. But it just felt like filler. It's a short game, but I feel like it, it should have been even shorter. And I, I think that um, it was just too much like Limbo. Like too much like seeing uh, a little kid getting mauled by animals and these puzzles, which were kind of just, eh, just, you know, you're doing something because you got to do something because it's a game. But... If it had been like an hour and a half or two hours and just really, really tight, I think it would have been a better, a better experience for it. And that's just hilarious to me because I feel like this game's like the perfect length and I don't really feel like a whole lot of it is wasted. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that happens early in the game can also be recontextualized once you finish the game. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to be that guy that says you have to play a game twice to understand it because I don't want to be that guy. But it's like if you play it again, you start to understand the layers of what happened earlier in the game, coordinating with what happens later in the game. And I feel like it's the perfect length. And I feel like the puzzles were easier than the ones in Limbo, which made me happy because there were a lot of sections in Limbo that I thought were too hard or I just couldn't like time the puzzles correctly. And, uh, and inside, I, I, I only got stuck once in the game and it only took me about 10 minutes to figure out what to do. But other than that, it was like pretty good, like smooth atmospheric sailing. So uh, that's, I guess, my response to you. Yeah, I hear you. It's it's another one of those not for everybody. I think it's uh, a little... I don't want to say it's too much up its own ass, but I feel like they kind of are doing their own thing again. I mean, they, they scored big with Limbo, and I feel like they're kind of resting on their laurels a little bit. Uh, but, you know, a, a lot of people like it. I didn't like it so much. That's okay. Moving on, I guess. Yeah, I, I will be very interested to see what they do next because, uh, like I said earlier, I think it was like a six- or seven-year gap between these games. And if they put out another game that feels exactly like Limbo and Inside, I have a feeling a lot of their audience might be turned off because they're basically going to be putting out like a reskinned game three times in a row. So, I mean, it'll really depend on the atmosphere and the story and everything of the next game. But if they put out another side-scrolling puzzle game about a little boy who dies violently anytime you fuck something up, it might be a little bit too much. So we'll just, I don't know. I'm interested to see what they do next. I agree, though. I think they really need to change it up next time. I don't think they can do this a third time. I think two was pushing it. So we'll see. 
Well, uh, let's move on to our official top three of the year. All right. Before we move on, I do want to say that my top three was really unusual this year. If you listen to the Game Critics Game of the Year show, um, I'm basically going to pull the same trick here that I did there. Uh, so it's not a secret what I've done, but I don't have exactly a top three, and you'll see why when we get there. But I will talk about my number three, which is Darkest Dungeon. I love this game, and I also hate it at the same time, but I think it's really brilliant. <laughs> Just like Tharsis. Uh, this is a g- Oh, a lot of those. A lot of love-hate this year. Yeah, a little too much love-hate, but still. Uh, this is a game where it's all in the mechanics, and I thought the mechanics were brilliant. It's a side-scrolling RPG, turn-based, very Lovecraftian. Like, And the uh, artwork is really what sells it. The artwork is just like phenomenal. I just I love the artwork so much. Really heavy use of darks. It kind of reminds me of uh, Mike Mignola from uh, comics, if anybody's familiar with his style. does like the Hellboy stuff. Basically, you go into these dungeons your ancestor really fucked things up and opened up a gate to some nasty dimension and you know cthulhu or whatever comes out so you take a group of uh four characters into these dungeons and it's it's another roguelike uh not particularly a roguelike but roguelike elements to it so the whole the whole crux of the game is in your party composition like it's very important which four characters you pick there's a whole bunch of different classes you've got like a knight you've got a healer you've got a sharpshooter with a rifle you've got a you know sword user whatever there's a whole bunch of different uh different types and they all have these different abilities that interact with each other in different ways and the thing that sets this game apart is that it really matters what order you have them in since it's a 2d game the guy like you line them up like single file so guy in the front two people in the middle one guy in the rear and what order they're in dictates what powers they can use it dictates how they relate to the other characters in their party it dictates how they can attack the enemy party and it's really this intricate dance of like juggling your party composition with what you can do at that moment a lot of the abilities in the game mess with that so like enemies will sometimes mess up your party line so like the guy who's supposed to be in the front will end up in the back and you're like oh my god the guy's in the back i can't do anything with that guy fuck i gotta get him back to the front and so you spend a couple turns kind of rearranging your party and recovering from that and just it's this really intricate back and forth of just seeing what you can do at any given moment and hoping that people don't mess up your plan and as you go in, like more and more roguelike elements come in, like there's random battles and all this different stuff can happen to you. I thought it was just a really great game. I loved it a lot. The only problem with it is that you have to maintain a very wide group of adventurers to make it through the end of the game. And if you get wiped out, like it's 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 permanent. There's permadeath in this. So there's no way to recover a party that you've lost. So if you've invested a lot of time in a party and you lose them, it's a pretty big setback. Ordinarily not a big deal. But it takes so much to get them back up to speed. And it's not hard, but it just takes a long time. So, like, I had one party who got wiped out. And I lost a bunch of high-level guys. Nothing you can do to get them back. And it's like, I could get them back. Like, like get new, new party members and train them up and get them back to the same level. And it's not hard, but it just takes so much time. I just felt like it was too time-intensive. So that's really the one big drawback. I believe the developers are working on a patch that they're calling the accelerated campaign, which I think is probably going to give you some ways to, sh- to reduce that time. And if they do that, I will go back to it in a heartbeat. I really wanted to finish it, but it was just taking up too much time. I've heard some people say it took them like 100, 150, 200 hours to beat the game, which to me is just too much. Like I, there's very few games where I want to invest that much uh, time, and this is not one of them, although I do enjoy it. So uh, I like it a lot. I think it's a great idea, wonderful design. And as soon as they put out the accelerated campaign, I am back in, but I do recommend it for sure. Uh, I'm guessing this is not your bag, Corey. 
It does not sound like my bag in any way, shape, or form. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. <laughs> and interestingly, the thing that you're about to talk to is not my bag either. What's your number three, Corey? I, uh, my, like, top games, Brad's just not into them at all, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not into them. Well, my number three is Doom, which... I part of the reason why I like this game so much is because I thought it was going to be bad. Like when I, I I rented it from Gamefly when it came out, it came out like June or May or something. And I thought like, I hadn't really been reading a whole lot about it. I just knew like, okay, it's another Doom game. Like, you know, what's the big deal? I liked Doom 3. I know a lot of people did not like Doom 3. Um, I thought Doom 3 was great. It was like, I liked it as well. I thought it was good too. Yeah, it was, like, slower paced. It was kind of scarier, but it still felt like, you know, kind of like a shooting game. It just wasn't, like, like intense in a fast way. Um, but I put in Doom, and from the get-go, I was like, wow, this is going to be, like, like almost unlike any shooter I've played before because of the sheer pace oh, of God. it. Oh, God. Okay, now the eye-rolling starts. Go on. Go on. So the sheer pace of Doom is what I love so much about it because the, at the beginning of the game, you're like the Doom Marine, and you get up off a table, and you're not wearing any clothes. All you have is a pistol in your hand, and you tilt that joystick if you're on, you know, console like I am, like a noob console gamer, um, and he just, like, dashes across the room, and from that point on, I was like, all right, this is going to be something new. Like, this does not feel like... Because I like tactical shooters. I like... I like cover-based shooters, you know, I like Deus Ex, I like stealthy action games. This is not, this is the farthest thing away from a stealthy action game you can get. It is all run and gun, it is all shooting, you don't even have a reload button, it's all just shooting. If you run out of ammo, you switch weapons, you're killing hell demons in these big fight arenas. The music is amazing. It's like rock and roll death from start to finish, and... It does have, I feel like toward the end of the game, it like wears out wears out its welcome just a little bit. And by the time they introduce all the enemy types, they kind of like play it out a little bit by the end. Um, but uh, it um, it's it's just really fun. Like it's fun, it's fast, it's it's deadly, it's violent. Like it's just one of those games that, like I feel like there's nothing I can say about it that a million people haven't said already. It's just like a crescendo of rock and roll violence from start to end. And I love it. Cool. I respect your view. It's a view shared by everybody else in our dimension. Everybody else in the known <laughs> fucking universe. Um, except for you. Except, well, I mean, I, there must, there must be one other person somewhere who doesn't think it's that great. It's a shooter. It's a shooter. It's a shooter that moves fast. It's a fucking shooter. Like I played it and I'm like, okay, it's a fast shooter. I've played a million of these. Like, I mean, it's more polished than some and it's a return to form for the genre, which has gotten pretty tactical lately. So I know a lot of people were happy that it was just basically just run and gun, shoot them, shoot them, shoot them. And, you know, but games used to be like that all the time. We used to get a bunch of those back in the day. I didn't really like them back then. I don't really like it now. I mean, it was, it was fine enough, but it, I feel like it really wore out as welcome. I got about halfway and I was like, oh my God, is this not over yet? Like all you're doing is just shooting and shooting, shooting. It doesn't really evolve very much. I didn't feel, um, you know, you get new weapons and new abilities, uh, sort of. I mean, not, they're not like huge. I mean, they're all kind of in line with what you'd expect for something like this. But I was like, yeah, it's polished. Yeah, it's fast. Big fucking deal. Like I just, I got really bored of it and I bailed. I just didn't even finish it. So uh, yeah, it's a shooter. Sure is. Uh, I don't see what all the fuss is about, but I mean, 
everybody else on earth loves it except for me so i guess i'll just have to be the odd man out on this one <laughs> yeah i mean it is just a shooter but i feel like that says a lot about why so many people love it because if it if you have a game that is just a shooter that doesn't really have a whole lot of other hooks to go on then that has to say something about how well-tuned it is and how fun it is for it just to be a shooter and to be getting this much love i guess i mean it's just a shooter i don't understand i i I legitimately don't understand why people are so excited about it it's just just a shooter but uh, you know we're not going to solve that question tonight so i guess we should probably move on (laughs) yes let's move on to our top two uh top two for me uh yeah broken record time another game no one's ever heard of seventh dragon three code vfd and the second in my list which has a completely stupid title (laughs) (laughs) Uh, have you heard of this or seen anything about it know anything about it Corey? i've only heard you talk about it on other podcasts before i figured so this is a 3ds exclusive something you don't hear that much on uh, game of the year podcasts uh currently it's made by some of the same people who are behind the etrian odyssey games have you ever played any of the etrian odysseys i don't even know what that is okay well we're, we're two for two here <laughs> uh they're pretty hardcore dungeon crawls, and the hook to the Etrian Odyssey games is that you draw your own map on the 3DS. Those are really fun games. It's not exactly the same thing here, but you can see a lot of the shared DNA. Um, a lot of the systems are kind of the same in terms of how your party interacts with each other. Uh, this is another game where it's all in the mechanics, where you have a wide variety of characters to choose from. You select the party, and in fact, you can actually have three separate parties that you can switch between at any time. So you, you optimally have like nine different characters running at the same time and uh, they can be specced out a number of different ways. So you can have a healer who's actually a better fighter than a healer, or they can be a good healer and less of a fighter, etc., etc. I feel like it just clicked. The, the battle system is so fun. Like, I usually hate random battles, and I thought they were great in this. It was really exciting to get to a new battle because I was constantly doing, like, new tricks, or I'd have new techniques I wanted to try out, new combinations to work out. Really fun. I thought it looked great on the 3DS, and the thing that really put it over the top for me was that the developers are so respectful of your time. There are so many really great quality of life options. Like you can save anywhere. Uh, Fast travel is always available. There's like this quick way to get through the shop and sell all the stuff that you want to sell. They clearly label like what equipment is better. So you don't have to ever wonder about what's better in a shop. And I mean, there's like a jillion, like the quest list is awesome. I mean, everything about it is like perfectly tuned to like make you want to come back. It's like a totally frustration free experience multiple difficulty levels. I mean, it's just so thoughtful and concerned to make sure the player has a great time. And I wish more games would take that level of care and apply it because it just, it is just, it's heaven to play this game. And it's so pleasant in every aspect. Uh, It is the third, I think of a series that has not had the first two release in America. So that was a little bit weird, but I think it's totally um, understandable. You don't, you don't, have a problem following the tale and i think from start to finish it was just a blast i really had a great time with it anybody who wants a quality rpg on the 3ds this is basically the best one that got released all year and again like i don't think anybody played it so uh seventh dragon three code vfd love it love it love it best best possible recommendation my favorite 3ds game of the year i am uh excited for you i guess i don't know what to say yeah let's move on (laughs) All right, well, my number two of the year is Hitman. And we talked about it a little bit earlier, but um, Hitman, I've been a Hitman fan since Hitman 2. Uh, I bought, I got Hitman 2 on the Xbox when it came out. I think I was like 
God, I was way too young to be playing it at the time, but I had very cool, very respectful parents, so they, you know, let me play it. Um, I uh, have been playing Hitman since Hitman 2, and this one, it's just a good return to form for them. Uh, their last, uh, IO Interactive's last game, Hitman Absolution, was kind of a diversion from the rest of their games, and it wasn't nearly as good. I still played it a lot, and I thought it was good, but it was uh, it was kind of walking to its own uh, beat, if you will. And Hitman 2016 is just everything that Hitman is known for and pr- uh, pretty much polished to near perfection. Um, IO Interactive took a huge risk in making this game uh, episodic this year. They were originally planning to do a full release all at once. They had a whole pre-order plan set down for these things you would get if you pre-ordered certain editions. And then they basically wiped the whole slate clean and decided to scrap everything and bring out the missions monthly. And it was, a, it was a big risk. A lot of people thought it was going to be terrible. I th- was worried about it because I only want the best things for Hitman and for IO Interactive. But the monthly thing really paid off. They released one mission a month. Um, the a big thing about Hitman is a focus on replayability. They drop you in a map as Agent 47. They give you uh, a number of targets. It could be one person. It could be three people. There might be some additional objectives. And then they basically just set you loose and let you do whatever you want. Um, my absolute favorite thing about Hitman is my very first experience with the level and being dropped in i will spend about two hours just walking around the environment listening to people talk finding the targets tracking them seeing what they do where they go who they talk to what situations they put themselves in that i could use uh you know possibly to kill them or you know to see what other people are saying about the targets because sometimes people in the environment don't necessarily like the targets and there's just nothing that matches that for me that that feeling of just canvassing the area and not feeling pressured to act too quickly i just love that about the series and uh and this game it's just all of that every mission um it's in a new location every mission's in a different country it's in a new location um they have a big emphasis on replaying levels to master them you can unlock Uh, more weapons and more gear as you master each level by doing different kinds of kills and you know finding different things and doing different stunts and i feel like they just hit it out of the park and did every just about everything right the only complaints i have about this game are that it has the game has three game modes and you cannot save in any of the secondary game modes so you only get one shot at a mission in the secondary game mode but luckily the secondary modes don't have anything to do with the main the main story or the main campaign the other problem I have is that Agent 47 is just simply too fragile. Um, old Hitman's, he I mean, he's he's made in a lab, Agent 47, that's kind of like his backstory. So he's supposed to be this superhuman who like is faster and can react quicker and is more indestructible than other humans, even though he looks like a human. But if, if things go tits up in Hitman 2016, you die in like two or three shots if somebody's shooting at you. And I understand the necessary, uh, the realism that the game is going for in that sense, but uh, it's just a little too quick for me. And I kept thinking that eventually a gear reward was going to come down the line where they were going to give you maybe a suit that had like a bulletproof vest or extra armor or something, but that never happened. And I feel like it's just a little bit too unforgiving for players that end up messing something up and need to shoot their way out or get out of a hairy situation. But other than that, I think this game is a near masterpiece. I love it. Right on, right on. Um, like I said earlier, I didn't get a chance to get around to it, and I am a big fan of the Hitman series. Uh, I did not like Absolution at all, 
But like you're saying, and like everybody else is saying, this is this is getting back to what Hitman is supposed to be. So hopefully they'll get to it soon. I suspect I will like it a lot when I get to it. I just haven't had time. But I believe what you're saying. And I have edited every single review you've done, so I know that the game is good. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope you like it. It's going to break my heart if you play it and you're like, oh, this game's dumb. Nah, I'm, I'm sure I will like it. <laughs> I've liked all I've liked all the good Hitman games before. I'm sure I'll like this one. I'm, I have no doubt. Good. I uh, I hope so. Well, should we move on to our official games of the year? Yeah, yeah, let's do it, man. Let's get this train going. Um, our official games of the year. So now we're getting to the part that I kind of warned you guys about before. This was a very unusual year for me in that in all of the years that I've been doing reviews, and it's been a long time, I've never had a problem picking a single game of the year before or a top game. But this year was different. I just could not pick. Uh, not to say that these games are not good. I think they're all great, but they were all great for different reasons. And none of them was really head and shoulders above the rest. And so I just, I hemmed and hawed. I went back and forth, a lot of sleepless nights, gave myself an ulcer, (laughs) didn't know what to do. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to break with tradition and I'm going to do a three-way split for first place. So like we said at the top of the show, uh, we're just going to put out these games that we really like. So it's not like one of them has to win. These are all great games. So I'm just going to go through them really quickly. I picked for my three-way split for first place, The Last Guardian, Overwatch, and let it die so just really quickly last guardian is from team eco it's the one where you are teamed up with uh, a large griffin like animal and the game is all about the relationship with that animal making it through puzzles overwatch i don't even need to explain what overwatch is everybody knows if you don't know what overwatch is then like where have you been like did you just get off uh, a spaceship from mars or something because everybody knows what overwatch is team-based shooter multiple characters like loads of porn on the internet i mean if you don't if you don't know overwatch (laughs) google search you will find out real quickly and let it die was kind of a dark horse come from behind surprise it's a free-to-play playstation 4 exclusive from grasshopper manufacturer the studio from suda 51 he's not really behind this one though there's a different director and people are not giving the director credit because i think uh what he's done has been great um it's basically uh kind of like a a third-person action game where you're climbing to the top of a post-apocalyptic tower. There's a couple of roguelike elements, but it's basically third-person combat, uh, really tense, and uh, a lot of uh, item management as you go. I'm making it sound really super boring, but it's really exciting. It's really, I guess, your blood pumping. Uh, the action can be really, really, uh, really tense at times. So those three games, I think, are wonderful. I don't want to talk like a lot about them because I feel like they're pretty well known. But they're all good for different reasons. I liked Last Guardian because I felt like it was, again, a very mature story. It's all about the patience that you have for this animal that you're working with. You need to see the animal as a partner and not a tool. I know a lot of people got really frustrated and impatient with it. But that's kind of the point. I mean, the point is you're building a relationship with this animal. If you can't build that relationship, it's it's just not a thing to be used. It is a creature. And it is stunning. I mean, that animal... It looks fucking like real sometimes, like the way that it acts and what it does. It's really, really convincing. Like it's a, it's, it's a masterpiece. So that's great. Let it die. I think just has the most solid gameplay loop, really focused vision. I just, I've not been able to put it down since it came out in, uh, I think the first part of December. I've been, I've been playing it basically daily. I think it's got its mechanics down. And if you like Japanese action games, I think it's at the top and overwatch i mean jesus you know overwatch we play overwatch all the time my family gets together mechanics are totally dialed in it's the first online shooter that i've ever enjoyed that i've i mean i've you know i'll play some get some time into them bounce off them 
but this is the one that's kept me coming back. I think it's really approachable to a lot of different people. And I think it's just, it's got a lot of really, really smart decisions. And that kind of refocuses the discussion about uh, online shooters. It's less about statistics and virtual dick measuring and more about what role do you like to play? How can you support the team? How can you work together? So I think that's a great way to refocus it. Plus, I mean, it looks great. The voice acting's great. Lots of charm. So um, not to cop out and, and fail to produce a top pick, but man, all three of those were so good. There's just no way I could choose between them. So three-way split for my number one but unlike me Corey, you had no problem picking a number one i never have a problem picking number one and to be honest the game i'm about to say which i feel like a lot of people if you know me you probably know this is my game of the year this has been my game of the year since the moment i played it back in like february and i have been waiting for a game to top it thinking that i mean maybe that nothing would top it this year and that's what happened nothing topped this game um my number one of the year is super hot. I adore this game. I played it on uh, one of my good friends, Jason, uh, Jason Sickmeyer, I think friend of the show, my friend of the show. Um, if you're listening, Jason, thank you for buying this for me on your awesome PC and letting me play it. Um, I played it on his computer twice in one weekend when I went to visit him. And then it came out on Xbox One. And I bought it again on Xbox One and played it uh, like two, I think two times on Xbox One. And for those who don't know, again, this is kind of like an Overwatch situation. If you've been living under a rock and haven't heard of this game, um, it is a first person shooter that uh, the hook of the game is that time only moves when you move. But that's actually incorrect. Time moves very, very slowly when you're not moving. But I understand why that wouldn't make a very good tagline for a game. But uh, the point is that as you move faster in the game, the ga- the world around you moves faster. So you can have, um, it's like VR-like enemies around you. They're like red polygonal figures. And you die in one hit. They have, some have guns, some have knives. And you spawn into a room. Uh, you have to be very tactical about how you move because an enemy can sneak up from behind you. They can kill you in one hit. You have to be tactical about the way you fire a gun because if you shoot a gun, the recoil compensates into how much you can move. So you have to you know, physically move forward a little bit to let the gun bounce back down in order to shoot it again. And I mean, I, to be honest, this is going to sound hokey, but I have never ever played a game like super hot before. It is so fresh and so original to me. And it's the kind of game where anytime I finished a level, I would just throw my fist up in the air and like yell because it's just so much fun. And it just feels so good, and I just love that J- Jason was there with me playing it the whole time, and we were just, like, looking at each other back and forth and, like, shouting whenever I would finish a segment, and the game has no fat on it at all. It is, like, a lean machine. Um, it just gets you from one level to the next. It has a cool um, sort of, like... A lot of people think it's kind of silly, but I actually dug the story. It's got a cool, like, meta story happening over the top of it, and that ties into the game really well. In my opinion, uh, some people bounced off of that and didn't like it, but I thought the story was pretty interesting. But uh, I don't know what else I can say about this game. Like, I just love it so much, and if for any reason you did not play it, um, a lot of people, when it came out, it was like 25 or $30, and the game is only like two to three hours long. A lot of people, that was an instant no-go for them because they heard about how short it was and they didn't want to play it. This game is worth every penny, in my opinion. I, I adore it. I think it's worth the money. Um, it is unlike anything I've ever played before, and as the game would want me to say, it is literally the most innovative shooter i've played in years i adore super hot 
Yeah, man. Everything uh, you said is correct. Uh, I mean, I think you liked it more than I did because it wasn't as high for me, but I don't disagree with with a bit of it. I mean, I really brilliant take on the first person shooter. I thought it was really well done. I liked the story. I thought the story was clever or at least clever enough for what this game was. I mean, each scenario was really interesting. I mean, it was good all around and and I don't think it needed to be longer. I think it was just right for what it was. If it had gone on longer, it might have been too much, at least as far as the campaign goes. I wouldn't have minded maybe just like some, you know, kind of like uh, Metal Gear VR scenario type things where you just, you know, it's not connected to anything. Just have like more and more level, like level packs or something might have been good. Uh, I understand why some people were hesitant because that is kind of a lot of money for such a short game. And despite thinking that it's so great, I do, I do get like people are on a budget and like knowing that something's going to be two hours for the campaign and hopefully getting more replay out of it. It's a little bit of an ask. I kind of wish it was a little bit cheaper. It'd be an easier recommend if so. But regardless of the price, I definitely agree that it's a, one of the best of the year. And I, I had a great time with it. It was certainly, uh, certainly worth playing. So uh, much love all around for Superhot. Superhot is the best. And one thing that I cannot, that, that just kills me about Superhot is the fact that like it came to the Xbox One, but it did not come to the PlayStation 4. And I thought for damn sure that this was going to be like, that this game would blow up on the PlayStation 4. So I just like want to know how much money Microsoft gave the Superhot team to make this game Xbox One exclusive because I feel like this game is not getting nearly the console audience it deserves because it came to Xbox One and not PS4. Dude, I totally agree. And I've seen that have happened a few times. It's really confusing because I, I feel like this would have done really well on PS4. Uh, this was actually the second game I ever enjoyed on my Xbox One. Uh, right after Factotum 90. Uh, so I think those both of those are Xbox exclusive. I can understand why Factotum is not, because it's a single guy, and you know he maybe can't afford the license fee for Sony or something, but I think he missed a trick by not porting it. Same thing for Superhot. I think both of these games deserve to be on PS4. I bet they would both find a really good audience, especially Superhot. There's no reason for this game to not be on PS4. I'm sure those guys made a bunch of money off of it, and I, I just don't know why. Hopefully, uh, like you said, hopefully that money hat that uh, Microsoft must have given him was, was big, because... It's a shame it's not on PS4. And I, I know more people would love it if they played it. Yeah, and I, I'm in the back of my head. I know this probably is not true, but I keep just hoping that it's like a timed exclusive because Superhot came out on PC in, I think in February and it didn't launch on Xbox One until like June or July. So I just keep like crossing my fingers that maybe it has like a year exclusive or something because I don't think they've said anything about it. And that maybe it'll hit PlayStation 4 eventually. But the other thing about it, too, is they made a VR version of Super Hot, and it is Oculus Rift exclusive. And so it's not, you know, they're not bringing it to the HTC Vive, which in my opinion is the best uh, is the best VR system out there. It's not coming to the PlayStation VR. So I just think it's weird that they keep, I mean, I hope that they're getting a lot of money and good support because they keep sending these, like, odd exclusivity deals and i think it's just an interesting business move i guess yeah i don't know i heard that the the vr version is actually kind of different than the the regular console or pc version so it's kind of a different beast who knows what's involved uh but yeah i think exclusives are kind of kind of lame i wish more people could uh get in and enjoy it but uh, well we'll see what happens you know like you said it's it's almost been an exact year since it came out so if it came out on ps4 around about February or so. I mean, that would be a pretty nice surprise. We can keep our fingers crossed. We'll see. Yeah, I hope so. Um, well, uh, listeners, you have just heard Brad and I talk about our top 10 kind of slash 12-ish games of the year. Um, before we wrap up, 
this episode of the So Video Games Podcast, we're going to name check some games that are upcoming in 2017 that we are looking forward to. Um, we don't really have any like list or plan or anything. We're just going to talk about some games. So, Brad, do you want to start us off? Yeah, and we've got quite a list here. Now we're running really late on time. Let's just maybe pick like three that we're most excited about and move on. Um, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that people don't bail on our podcast before the end because <laughs> what we say is so great. you got to listen to every single word, but let's get through this really quickly. Uh, my first pick is Ukulele, which is coming from – what are they called? They're not even called – they're not called Rare anymore, but it's like a lot of the guys that used to be at Rare Studios. I don't know what they're – Playtonic, I think, is their new studio? I have Possibly. no idea. Did you ever play Banjo-Kazooie on the N64? Nope. Oh, okay. So Banjo-Kazooie uh, is like – it's basically Super Mario 64, but with a bird and a bear as partners, and they're the main character. The bear runs around. The bird is in his backpack. And so they each have their own special abilities. Uh, and so they work as a team. Rare has the license to Banjo-Kazooie. And I think those games were great. In, in fact, I think they were almost better than the Super Mario games back then, better than the Super Mario 64 games. Uh, debatable, debatable. But I know there's more than a few people who share that view. Those games were quality. So those guys could not get the license back. They could not make Banjo and Kazooie 3. But this is basically the same thing. Instead of a bear and a bird, it's a chameleon and a bat. Same kind of team mechanic, same kind of third-person platformer adventure type of game. If you played Banjo-Kazooie, Ukulele is definitely up your alley. And I'm very, very excited because I think those guys did a great job with uh, those games. I'm very much looking forward to what they do with this because these games are just not being made right now. There's not a lot of third-person action character games going on right now. And I feel like that's a, a niche that could use a little uh, use a little more entries in it these days. So I'm, I'm looking forward to cracking into that. Ukulele. What about you, Corey? What's uh, what's something you're looking forward to in 2017? Uh, one of my most anticipated games of the year is actually, uh, luckily, coming out in like two weeks or so, um, which I mentioned earlier is Resident Evil 7. Um, I think uh, an end of January launch for a scary video game is a very interesting choice, but I think it's smart because I feel like this year, usually there's a big fourth quarter group of games that gets pushed into quarter one of the following year for delays and stuff. But I really don't feel like that happened this year. Like pretty much everything that was supposed to come out this year did come out. Or by this year, I mean 2016. Um, And so Resident Evil 7 releasing at the tail end of January is smart because I don't really think there's a whole lot coming out around it. So maybe that'll boost its sales. Maybe more people will play it. Maybe when people are cold in the winter they'll want to come inside and start a fire and play a spooky video game to keep warm um but i'm really looking forward to that uh because you know it's a return to form it's first person which is new for the series it's supposed to actually be scary and atmospheric um like i said before i loved the beginning hour demo so i'm hoping that resident evil 7 will just be more of that and better in a full game and i mean early impressions of the game that i've read about have been positive so i hope uh i hope it will deliver Excellent, excellent. Um, something else I'm looking forward to is the Fall Part Two. Did you play the Fall, Corey? I only played it because you recommended it, but that the Fall Part Two is on my list as well. Did you like the Fall? Oh yeah. Okay, great, great, good. We're in agreement. The Fall is, I think, one of the best sci-fi games to come out in some time. The story was just so well done. I really enjoyed it. It's kind of a point-and-click adventure game where you play as a exosuit and the pilot inside of your exosuit is like knocked unconscious by some injuries and so the suit has to take over and carry that guy back to safety um there's a lot more to it than that but that's the basic gist i thought that the first game it was announced as part of a trilogy but the first game was a complete story in and of itself which was really great looking forward to part two 
It's from a small team, and I think that it didn't get the props it deserved, but for sci-fi games, like real science fiction, I felt like it was really wonderfully done. I thought the puzzles were a little on the challenging side for me because I don't really do that well at point-and-click adventure games, but I got through it, and it was really worth it. I thought it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Really looking forward to the fall part two. I am as well. I was hoping that that would come out before the end of 2016, but it did not happen. What's next uh, on your on your upcoming list, Corey? Uh, I am going to name check Prey, which is uh, a reboot of the Prey series, um, which I guess is kind of like the same thing with Mirror's Edge. You had Mirror's Edge and then Mirror's Edge Catalyst is a reboot. Well, now we have Prey and then we have Prey, which is a reboot. Um, did Was there ever a Prey 2? No, there was not. Okay, so... That the reason why I'm excited about this game is because Arcane Studios is working on it, and Arcane does uh, the Dishonored games, which, as we established before, I'm a big fan of the Dishonored games. And I like when development studios do this, where because Dishonored is kind of uh, it's kind of got like a steampunk Victorian e setting, but Prey is like sci-fi. You're on like a space station and you're fighting aliens. So it's kind of the same thing where you have like Mass Effect and then you have Dragon and Dragon Age and stuff like that. So I'm really hoping that. It'll be like a good futuristic sci-fi story with like the mechanics of Dishonored surrounding it. Um, I'm all for it. I think it looks really good, and I'm excited about it. Right on. I really like the first Prey. I think this is like a complete and total break from what the first Prey was, so I don't think there's going to be any connection there. So it'll be basically like an all-new... They're just keeping the title. I don't know why they're even bothering to keep the title, honestly, but we'll see how that turns out. Um, For me... Uh, my last pick for what I'm looking forward to. There's a bunch more, but we're like so long on time. We got to wrap this up. I'm actually falling asleep at the <laughs> microphone here. Uh, my last pick is going to be a real obvious one. I'm going to go big this time, and I'm going to appease the AAA fans. Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. I'm definitely looking forward to that. I'm a huge fan of Mass Effect. I mean, I have my issues with the series, but overall, I think it's wonderful. The first Mass Effect is still like pretty much my favorite game of all time. I just love it so much. And I'm really excited to see that the series is coming back to its roots, at least from what we can tell from the videos. Not a lot of information uh, is out there, but it looks like it's less about corridor shooting and maybe a little bit more about getting out in space, exploring planets. It looks like a return of the Mako. I'm definitely on Team Mako. Are you Are you Team Mako, Corey? Oh, yeah, I love Mako. Yep. Okay, good. Excellent. We're, that's why we get along. Team Mako is the best <laughs> team. So if it's more of that, I really missed how the series got away from that exploration and really got into corridor shooting. And just, like, it got smaller and a little bit too focused for me. I would like a little bit more of the uh, expansive nature of, of outer space. And this seems like a perfect chance to do it. My only hesitation is that I feel like Bioware really shit the bed and then lit it on fire when it came to Dragon Age Inquisition. I hate that game. I hate Inquisition so bad. I thought it was just an awful, boring, bloated, terrible, terrible game. And I'm a little bit afraid that they're going to follow that template when it comes to Andromeda. I hope not. I hope that they learned their lessons from Inquisition. I hope that they stay true to Mass Effect and don't make it about, like, you know, collecting 50 doodads to make a thing. And, you know, I don't want any bloat. I don't want just quests for the sake of questing. I want really quality stuff. So my fingers are crossed. I'm definitely going to pick it up day one. I'm still a fan. Pulling for this series big time. I'm really looking forward to this reboot. So Mass Effect Andromeda, that's going to be my last my last pick for what we're looking forward to in 2017. And it should be not too far off. It's like in April or something like that, right? It's, it's pretty I think, close. I uh, think March 21st they just announced, oh, yeah, I think. Yeah. First first part of the year, so we don't have much uh, much uh, to go before we get it. Not too long yeah. away. Yeah. That's good. 
Um, my uh, my last pick for 2017 is Detroit Become Human, which I, I knew like... you were going to pick that one. Uh, I knew shut it. up. Um, I feel like a lot of people are kind of forgetting about this game. It is uh, made by David Cage and Quantic Dream. They made Heavy Rain and they made Beyond Two Souls. Um, I adore both of those games. I, I understand their problems and I understand why people don't like them. But, uh, but Quantic Dream is one of those developers where the games they make are just slightly different than most games I play in a good way. And I will pretty much play just about anything they put out. But uh, Detroit is about a game. Um, it's about a game. That doesn't make any sense. It is a game, <laughs> it's a game about, about a game. Um, so meta. Yeah. Whoa, mind blown. So meta. Um, it is uh, a game about humans and androids living among each other. Um, I assume it's in Detroit, considering the game is called Detroit. Uh, and, I mean, I don't really know a whole lot about the game. The only demo I've seen is at E3 where you play as an android who's trying to, like, talk this guy out of... It's like a hostage situation. He's trying to... He, like... There's, like, a guy on the rooftop who's holding a woman hostage or, like, a kid hostage. And you go in as the android and you, like, inspect his apartment. And then depending on what you find in his apartment, whenever you go up to actually negotiate with him, there's, like, a million different things that can play out. And Quantic Dream are very much one of those developers that do, like, the choices lead to consequences thing and... Um, and I mean that's more or less true out of any out of their games, but this one feels like it'll be even better. Um, I don't know. I'm just really looking forward to it. I like Quantic Dream. Their games aren't perfect, but they give me something that I can't find a lot of other places. And I uh, I want to play Detroit. I'm interested. Agreed. I'm in the same boat as you. I think they are really really flawed, really flawed games. But at the same time, they're really interesting games. And uh, as much as I um, have issues with uh, David Cage at least he's trying something new i think he's he's maybe barking up the wrong tree sometimes but he's definitely trying something new which i respect so i'm always curious to see what he's up to i may not like it i may not love it but um he's got my attention for sure he's somebody to watch so good pick good pick well uh is that is that gonna be it for us then man i dude i'm tired i think that's <laughs> gonna be it for us i think we're done i, I say we're done all right. Well, uh, this has been a long ass episode, but I guess if any episode's going to be long, it might as well be the game of the year episode, right? Absolutely. That's this is this is the longest we're going to do all year, I think. <laughs> um, well, that uh, that'll be it for it then. Um, I know we say this every episode, but uh, thank you for listening. And if you have any thoughts, feedback, uh, any topic ideas you want to hear us discuss, any technical feedback. Um, anything uh i i do want to say somebody on twitter told us that they started listening to our podcast for the first time and that the first episode seemed a little bit quiet um i do apologize this podcast is literally my first time editing a podcast ever so um i guess if you're listening to this you probably uh have made it through all the episodes but uh, i promise they our episodes get technically better as we go on um but if you have any technical feedback please let us know we are on uh, Twitter at So Video Games, and you can also send us an email if you want at So Video Games Podcast at gmail.com. We are open to any and all thoughts and feedback about the show. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for listening to this long episode, and hopefully, <laughs> you'll have some thoughts about the games that we selected this year. Hopefully, we have introduced you to some games that you haven't heard of. In fact, I'm almost guaranteeing that we probably have. So, if you try some of these out, uh, let us know what you think. If you disagree with some of our picks, maybe keep that to yourself. If you think we're great, <laughs> then let us know that. And uh, but definitely reach out. I'm just kidding, of course. But let us uh, <laughs> let us know what you think. Send us some feedback and uh, reach out whenever you need to. So this is, I think, for right now, bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. <laughs>